0: You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast.
1: The UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Debbings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds.
0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast, episode 232. My name's Neville Bounds and joining me today, uh, because Carlos is not here... Uh, is matt
2: smith well hello everyone hello and welcome yes we're we're at my humble abode today we've uh, we've been kicked out of the kitchen studio because uh well there's nobody there frankly so uh yes we're we're at my humble abode today nev you're in your usual location i assume yes indeed yeah
0: absolutely and uh all is well here thank you very much indeed i know and, we've uh, had we've had
2: nice weather today this is very yeah, unnerving it's been, been great, <laughs> isn't it? very
0: nice and we've got some more good weather uh approaching next week we're being told as well so we? 25 yeah. 26 degrees
2: right yeah can i have that in writing minutes, please because so, uh, it is the uk <laughs> we don't mind that at all um <laughs> indeed but of course
0: um with carlos not here we had to well mm. we had to find someone mm. appropriate to big
2: enough shoes to fill you see this is it and uh, i so can't
0: who, who could we have got well, well there's so many people we could choose from but mm. of course there's only one person to choose from yeah. you know, when this uh, this situation happens And, of course, from the airline pilot guy, it's Captain Jeff.
3: Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, thanks, Jeff, for coming on, and uh, we really appreciate your contribution. And it's so nice to have a professional on the show rather than just (laughs) a bunch of amateurs. I know. know.
2: Somebody might know what they're doing. That will be nice. (laughs) I, I, I would not say that, actually, but thank you.
0: Well, if we have any aviation questions come up, we've got a chance that they could be answered yep, accurately. So at least
3: 50% accuracy. <laughs> yeah, <is accurate. laughs> we we'll that.
0: that. Wow, as so, high as uh, that. I'm
2: impressed. Yeah, I was going to yeah, go, I was so gonna we go were, with 30, but... <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
0: What have you been up to this week, Jeff? Have you been busy? Why?
3: I flew a trip uh, Tuesday through Thursday, and uh, on that trip, recorded a show on Wednesday, and uh, I just started up. Uh, editing the audio, so I have a lot of work ahead of me, <laughs> to right you, uh, but uh, it was a great trip. It was a double Sarasota, Florida layover, and uh, we stayed in a nice hotel there, and uh, yeah,
0: it's good.
2: Very, Very good. nice too.
0: Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. What's the, what's the weather been like for flying, Jeff, this week?
3: Well, uh, this time of year, especially in the southeast, southeastern United States, um, flying early in the day, you're usually okay. Uh, mid-afternoon to evening, good luck. Because it's going to be stormy, probably. So, uh, (laughs) fortunately for us, we avoided all that stormy stuff uh, because we flew mostly in the morning. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, that late summer dog days of uh, summer kind of weather pattern.
0: Yeah, I certainly remember flying into Florida quite often and arriving there at. Three or four o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, that's when it all starts, isn't it? <laughs> yep
3: awesome. almost like clockwork.
2: Yeah, it is. Indeed, yeah, it's it almost kicks off. Well, uh, we'd just say hello to a few people in the chat room, if we may. So we've got Barbara Parrish, Falco, Lane Street, Liz Piper, Mariana, Masha Gertz, uh, Nico Riga, and uh, we've got Richard King. Somebody by the name of Carlos Stebbings, I've never heard of him. Uh, yeah, Richard King and Robert Fairbairn, just to name a few. So thank you very much for joining us live. As I said, this this is where we this. Is the oracle obviously this is where we go when we need real answers to the uh, questions in the various stories of course <laughs> well,
3: you know yeah, i'm i'm yeah. such a professional that i actually have my producer in the chat room and she'll uh, she has a <laughs> private channel that she can of course indicate yeah, to me what i'm supposed yeah. to do and direct me Mm. okay so that's
0: the uh right
3: the filter or the or the sensor yes
2: indeed I, I like that he's getting the excuses in early this is clearly yeah. the way forward <laughs> she does
3: keep me out of trouble usually <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> or indeed. correct me when I'm, i've gone well well off the track
2: <laughs> yeah. amen to that then, yeah. It? Yes. <laughs> yeah absolutely yes how does she
3: fit it all in yeah, i don't know
2: <laughs> okay well uh lovely though this is i suppose we want to do some aviation
0: related news what do you reckon gents I think so. That's a very good idea. So we're going to start off uh, this week with the commercial news segment. So if you're ready, Matt, I am. And if you're ready, Jeff,
3: I'm ready. Then off we go.
0: right well starting off on the uh ttgmedia.com website and it's a ba story which is what i always like to hear what a surprise as long as it's, <laughs> as long as it's a positive one yeah. good uh, luck with that but, uh, yeah. <laughs> on this occasion it is and uh, they're going to be expanding their presence at london city airport by almost 20 percent next year whilst uh, adding a lot of new routes and the airline will be uh, taking an additional four uh, Embraer E-190 aircraft at its Thames hub, expanding its BA City Flyer fleet to 26 aircraft. In total, the new aircraft will add nearly 20% more BA seats at London City for 2019, allowing it uh, for adding new destinations. And the first addition to be announced is a new year-round service to Rome, starting on November the 11th, with one-way Hang luggage. I'm sure it means hand luggage. <laughs> uh, fares leading in from 55 pounds. That's pretty good. And it'll also is going to add a extra weekday Zurich service, taking this route to fly- five flights a week. And uh, Tom Stoddart, managing director of BA City Flyer, says the new four the four new aircraft shows our commitment to giving our customers an even bigger range of destinations and flight times. This growth will see the number of job opportunities in East London increase with direct employment opportunities for pilots, cabin crew and engineers, as well as indirect roles for our various suppliers in and around the airport. And Luke Hayhope, General Manager, Commercial and Customer for BA City Flyer, added that the expansion at City Airport came after BA added 13% capacity in 2018. And BA has pledged to invest £4.5 billion pounds over the next five years to guarantee customers Wi Fi and onboard power fitting out 128 long-haul aircraft with new interiors and taking delivery of 72 aircraft. We're not going to be doing long-haul from London City with the short length of that runway, but that's (laughs) a a moot point, maybe. But um, Richard Hill, who's Chief Commercial Officer at London City Airport, said that BA Cityfly is London City Airport's largest airline partner, and this investment is in four additional e-jets. Demonstrates absolute commitment to its base at London's most central airport as continued growth uh, in, we enter into. Uh, 2019. So that's a good news story. And uh, yeah, London City is a very popular airport and it's got some great destinations and very fast check-in. That's the nice thing I like about that airport. It's about a 10-15 minute check-in and uh, they, they do a really good job there, although they are very space limited. Uh, mm-hmm. But they do an excellent job there for such a small... Uh,
2: what, what, I mean, what's the maximum size aircraft that you can get into London then? London City? Uh, well,
0: they, uh, that airport, it's uh, Airbus A318. Uh, okay. Which is the service they run from uh, City Airport through Shannon to JFK? Right, uh, so like BA they, one, BA one. It is, yeah, the old Concorde route number and BA two on the way back. Uh, they, they've actually cancelled the BA three and three and four now, Sally. They can't actually find enough revenue to to run that service uh, twice a day. Oh, but um, that's an all business class service. Uh, Stop me off in Shannon. For a fuel stop, but more importantly as well, it's you do all the customs clearance there as well, and yes, that's great course. because it means you enter the U.S. as a domestic yes. passenger.
2: I know when my, myself and uh, Owen went to New York, he did exactly the same. He he literally flew into Shannon and then did the the pre clearance and stuff through the end other end. I mean, okay, we we got lucky. We we because we were landing at Newark, and it, it to be fair, it really wasn't that bad. weren't at the time that we arrived, the biggest cue, believe it or not, was to actually get out of the airport. It it wasn't so much passport control and things, but uh, yeah, that that is such a especially a small. I'm surprised they don't do more of that. Actually, you know where you where you do pre pre um Clearance, if you like, before you arrive in the states. I mean, any reason? Well, that's for that service
0: is all business class, so I think it's about 38 seats oh, only. Right. Okay, 18, so <laughs> that's all they can really take with the short runway length they've got at uh, City Airport. It's all right coming home because uh, you've got a prevailing tailwind usually, right. so the uh, fuel is not an issue. So they can do a direct JFK to London City on the way back. But so often, actually, at City Airport, the weather is not fantastic, and certainly if the uh, wind. Wind is uh, not very clever, and you're probably going to Gatwick because there's uh, there's not much room for manoeuvre at uh, City Airport if it all goes a bit wrong with the weather. So, mm. uh, but having said that, it's been a very successful service for them. So, yeah. um, and obviously the, the longer European routes as well works well from that airport.
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, anything to add to that, uh, Sir Jeff?
3: Yeah. Well, frankly, I'm kind of concerned about the couple that was found dead at Thomas Cook Fergata Hotel. Oh. <laughs> So I'm just looking at something in the. Oh,
2: that, that was in Egypt, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think that was in Egypt. If my memory, if if my memory serves <laughs> okay. on that story, yes, it was. Oh, uh, I'm yes, sorry. Very, very worrying because they 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 apparently they were relatively fit, sort of slightly older, but they were both both a very fit couple and a terrible smell was found in the room and all that and everybody thomas cook moved everybody that was in there out basically that's a, that's a oh. rough summary of said story <laughs>
3: sorry uh I'm, I'm easily distracted
2: no that's fine i i, I feel your pain uh, so I'll, I'll move on show we? well story number two yeah. is the usual uh, obviously it's a ryanair story and uh yes not perhaps the news everybody was hoping for it's uh lincolnshire live is the uh, the rag that we're reading it from and it says ryanair baggage policy changes again Here's all you need to know. So Ryanair is changing its luggage policy again, and this time it affects customers who bring a second bag on board a flight. Earlier this year, the company announced that it was changing rules so that only people uh, who could take two cabin bags on board its plane were priority boarding passengers. Uh, this oh, very Irish of me, wasn't it? Priority. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, this meant that people who were non-priority passengers could take uh, one small bag into the cabin and have a second bag put in the hold for free. But according to the Mirror Online, that is all about to change. Do you, do you know, Nev? this is one of the things that really annoys me, and I don't know how you feel about this. So this is the Lincolnshire Live newspaper, uh, or the Lincolnshire Herald, I think, is actually the newspaper that it comes from. <laughs> but, they say, but according to the Mirror Online, so they're reporting a story from another newspaper in their own newspaper.
0: Yes, i think they're a bit short of original material by the sound of things right uh, yes on on the good on the plus side of things at least they've um identified the correct aircraft so it's actually a step in the right direction that's all they fly
2: so you can't really get it wrong can you well you say that (laughs) you make it sound like a challenge uh yes but uh, anyway from the 1st of november those who aren't priority boarding passengers will have to pay extra if they want a second bag at all in fact you'll need to fork out eight pounds for a bag up to 10 kilograms Those who plan to check in the second bag anyway may find that this is good news as you'll be able to pay £8 for a bag of up to 10kg instead of the usual £25 for a bag of up to 20kg. However, uh, if you didn't plan to pay for the second bag and are a non-priority passenger, then you'll have to pay the extra six pounds for priority boarding. Eight pounds if you choose to add it to your booking later, or pay eight pounds to get it checked in the hold. The only other alternative is to stick it into a small bag. Uh, there is no point in chancing it at the gate either, as if you're not a priority, if you're not priority boarding, you will still be made to pay a fee to have your second bag placed in the hold if you. Already, uh, if you've already booked your flight, then the rules will still apply as it affects all travel. From November, the company blamed the change on the number of people turning up at the gate with a second bag to place in the hold for free, which they say can cause delays of up to 25 minutes. They claim that under the new revised policy, this will speed up the boarding and cut final flight delays uh, ryanair's kenny jacobs we do love a statement from him said that from april uh, sorry sorry. from november 2018 we are introducing a new lower cost 10 kilogram check bag and changing our carry-on bag policy to eliminate boarding slash flight delays priority boarding customers will still be anyway we're repeating ourselves so i won't bother with that but uh, yes it's uh, yes I, I don't know uh, uh, perhaps a victim of its own success perhaps um i mean i always remember a time where you were only ever allowed to bring one hold bag with you uh, when it came yeah. to the low-cost airlines. Well, do you remember
0: anyway? several months ago, I did a Nev's passenger experience with my friend Jackie who lives in Sweden Yes, and she commutes regularly from Stansted back to Sweden, um, you know, several, many times a year. And she's got it all worked out. She knows exactly what the mm-hmm. rules are with Ryanair, yep. what you can do, what you can't do. The trouble is, they do change it on yep. a fairly regular basis. And she said to me just last week, she said, Nev, I can't keep up with
2: it anymore. No. I just
0: don't know what, what I no. can take and what I can't take. Somebody
2: just, they're literally changing it every almost every week. I mean, one of the, well, I don't know, maybe the moral of this story is FlyJet 2. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I think the next story is with Sir Captain of Jeff.
3: It is indeed, yes. I believe you're correct. The headline from foxnews.com is Labor Day Travel. 16.5 million people expected to fly on U.S. airlines. Industry trade organization Airlines for America, A4A, Announced Wednesday that an estimated 16.5 million passengers are expected to fly worldwide on United States carriers over the week-long Labor Day travel period. Week long? (laughs) Uh, What do you mean by that? I thought it was just a long weekend. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The 2018 Labor Day travel period, which runs through September 4th. Okay, that's just the weekend. We'll see a 3.5% increase from the 16 million passengers who flew during same holiday period last year. They forgot a the in there. Um, This Labor Day, U.S. airlines are enabling more passengers than ever before to take to the skies to see loved ones or visit exciting destinations because of improved accessibility for all, A4A Vice President John Heimlich said in a statement. From a daily perspective, A4A is reporting that airlines should be preparing for 2.36 million daily passengers, an increase of 79,000 people per day from 2017. To meet the demand, carriers will offer 2.76 million seats per day across their networks, a daily increase of 92,000 seats. 2018 has been an exceptionally busy year for air travel, with 20 out of the 20 Five busiest days ever recorded by the Transportation Safety Administration occurring so far this year. Heimlich continued, record numbers of travelers are taking to the skies in large part due to widespread affordability, with inflation-adjusted fares in the first quarter of 2018 averaging 8%, or $30 below Q1 2010. As for the busiest day, the report suggests August 31st will experience the most passenger traffic which i believe is today with an estimated 2.76 million passengers taking to the skies on us airlines other busy days include august 30th and september 3rd with 2.6 and 2.58 million passengers traveling respectively if passengers having to fly during labor day if passengers have to fly during the labor day travel period the least busy days are expected to be september 1st and 2nd which are also historically among the lightest days of the year. Hmm, interesting. <laughs>
0: Do you think that um, a lot of the airlines take advantage of the, of the Labor Day thing, Jeff, and, and hike the prices up?
4: I
3: don't, don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I guess they could. Um, I'm not really in touch that much with uh, fares and, you know, how they fluctuate and how they set the fares and that kind of thing. So. I would imagine if it's a travel period, like, you know, around the holidays and uh, Labor Day weekend and that kind of thing, that they might, um, you know, get a little bit more per ticket on average. And I know that uh, one of my co-hosts on the Airline Pilot Guy show, uh, Dana, was actually out there flying today. He flew up uh, from Atlanta to uh, Providence, Rhode Island, so he was doing his part in carrying some of those 2.76 million passengers. Um, And then I'll do the same on Monday, Labor Day itself.
2: I mean, I mean, obviously, when when you get these these busy periods, that you that, that obviously, you know, Labour Day is a popular day in the same way. I suppose that things like, uh, you know, travelling like over the festive season here, like Christmas and things like that. I mean, th- there must that must be quite a, a you know a sort of I don't know sort of nerve wracking time for, for people like you, Jeff. I mean, is it you just want it to go smoothly and, and things, or is it you know is there much more to think about? I suppose when when the skies are so busy.
3: Well, honestly, at Acme Airlines, the company for which I fly, which is a uh, made up name, by the way, um, we uh, are so, our, our passenger loads are so high anyway. I mean, right. you, you hardly notice any difference, actually. Right. But uh, yeah, you tend to see uh, the, the terminals, the concourses tend to be a little bit more crowded. Uh, you tend to see people that you don't normally see flying, and that can. That can sometimes add to the frustration and confusion mm. because, uh, you know, when people only fly once per year or twice per year, yeah. you know, they're they're not as savvy as the business travelers that are yes. traveling, you know, <laughs> yeah. all during the week.
2: Yeah, so, so things like security and stuff, suppose, are, are much sort of heavier or harder going because, as you say, you've got the unseasoned traveler sort of yes. doing their annual one-off fly to see Auntie
3: Mabel in, you know, up, up north somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, but otherwise, um, you know, it's going to be pretty much like uh, every every other week, really. I mean, actually, the last portion of August here in the United States, uh, you tend to see quite a, uh, or a little bit of a lull in flying, and it's kind of interesting because we're so used to getting our numbers, our performance numbers with the number of passengers on board, and usually it's like every seat is filled. And the last couple of weeks, I've noticed that uh, we were running loads of about 75 80 percent of what we normally do wow.
2: so gosh um, that, that is quite a jump yeah
3: yeah but it's nice in a way I mean as it's, it's uh, I mean it's good to have full airplanes because that means the company is making the maximum amount yeah. of money but on the other hand it's kind of nice especially for the flight attendants to kind of get, get a little bit of a break and you yeah. don't have a completely full airplane and and I think it's good for the passengers as well you, you know have a little bit of room to spread out perhaps mm-hmm. you see a spot another seat that looks a little bit nicer you know or better <laughs> yeah. away from other people you know?
2: yeah or, or somewhere as you say to sort of sort of maybe lift up the armrest and sort of you know maybe take up two seats if you feel the need mm-hmm. yeah have yeah. a kip or, or something like that yeah indeed uh nev can i trouble you to take the next story please
0: you can it's on the businessdailyafrica.com and uh, it says that British Airways, Emirates, Etihad, and KLM have been voted the world's most family friendly airlines. Mm-hmm. Toy company Play Like Mum compared 20 international airlines, looking how, at how easy they make the travel experience for families. The airlines were amongst the top 10, offer children their own free checked luggage allowance. A free allowance for a pushchair, car seat, and complimentary special children meals on longer flights. We know how daunting the experience of flying with children can be. We're delighted with the great feedback that we've been hearing from families who are really pleased with the changes that we've made to their journeys," uh, said uh, Tom Stevens, BA's head of customer at Heathrow, which has introduced a permanent uh, family check-in zone and security lane at its hub at Terminal 5. Uh, Most airlines have started catering for young flyers, offering them from storybooks, cartoon boarding passes to serving them food before adults. Passengers have been pushing for child-free flights, but uh, many charge 10% of the paid fare for a child carried on their laps. Uh, Most parents travelling with more than one child Face the difficult task of booking seats because airlines charge extra or uh, for preferred or premium seats. And for Emirates, um, they said that an economy class traveler can pay to select a seat uh, in advance or enjoy complimentary seat selection when. Online check-in opens 48 hours before the flight. The cost of the seat is based on whether you prefer to be seated at the front or the back of the aircraft. Enjoy extra legroom, a great view from the window seat or access from the aisle seat to get up and move around. Business class or first class passengers enjoy complimentary seat selection at any time. Uh, Etihad's general uh, manager for Africa, George Maldry, uh, said they do not charge to choose seats whilst booking on standard economy. The value add... Uh, the value add on a family entourage raises a competition amongst airlines that charge extra fees on tickets to cater for children even parents traveling with one child have had to seek permission for their children to sit on an empty seat making it hectic to travel as a family it's always a problem isn't it i think um trying to budget for your holiday uh this kind of thing uh, trying to make sure everybody's happy and uh, of course vacation holiday is a, a nice time hopefully but if you have a bad experience at the airline mm. it's never off to a good start but it sounds though like there's a few companies at least mm. prepared to make a bit of a an
2: improvement i think that is true that is true okay moving on the next story is on fox news that's fake news fake news everyone uh ryanair pilot faints before diverted landing quite now Quite how fox news has found this out i don't know so a ryanair captain was forced to land a diverted flight alone after the co-pilot passed out in the cockpit before uh, soon before the aircraft was set to touch down ryanair flight fr 3918 from london stansted airport to palmero in italy was forced to make an emergency landing in the sicilian city of trapini due to a raging thunderstorm in the region, uh, Express reported. This is another one, isn't it? Fox are reporting on the Daily Express, which obviously is another quality sort of fake news kind of outlet. A uh, rep for Ryan, <laughs> a rep for I'm going to get sued in a minute, aren't I? A rep for Ryanair confirmed on the 23rd of August uh, that the incident took place to Fox News. Uh, according to the outlet, the unnamed co-pilot briefly fainted in the plane's cockpit just before the Boeing 737 was set to land. Oh, at least they got the right plane. Uh, um, upon safety, uh, upon safely landing and deplaning, the co-pilot was hospitalised and examined. The Ryanair spokesman told. Fox News. The first officer on this flight briefly fainted while the aircraft was being landed by the captain at Trapini. He was examined by the local medical staff and taken to hospital where he was examined and released shortly thereafter without suffering any ill effects whatsoever. The rep said the aircraft subsequently was inspected by Ryanair engineers and was cleared to return to service ex- the express report. So, so not a, it's not the, the greatest news I suppose you want to hear but then I, I'm guessing... No, but it- But it's, you know, the same story. This is why
0: there are two uh, qualified pilots on the flight deck, isn't it? And I noticed a story just this week. I think it was from Boeing, which are actively pursuing um, single pilot operations. Right. Uh, It's all about the
3: money. Yeah, Yeah, this is true.
0: So I know you've got very, very strong views on this, Jeff.
3: I do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to uh, even consider having fewer than two Pilots mm. on board aircraft with passengers, yeah, and uh, you know that's that's my very strong opinion, and it's shared by many of us, because we've seen what can happen with the airplanes and uh, fellow crew members. Uh, I should add, though, on this story, uh, according to um, the Aviation Herald, which is uh, usually a pretty a quality uh, reliable outlet source, yes. uh, on August twenty-eighth, twenty eighteen. Ryanair's chief pilot added that the first officer did not suffer a physical trauma and did not hit his head, although there were some stories out there that there was a, a lot of turbulence on final, and that turbulence caused the first officer's head to hit something in the cockpit, and that's why uh, he passed out. But apparently, according to Ryanair's chief pilot, he did not hit his head but felt unwell and was unable to continue duties.
2: Right. Okay. Well, I mean, this if 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 ever there, there was an advert, if you like, for making sure uh, that there was more than one person on the uh, flight deck, uh, one could argue, all right, no serious incident took place, briefly passed out, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, somebody who is flying the plane could pass out because of, not because of anything they've done, just one of those things. I mean, you know, there are incidences where people pass out with no explanation. Um, you know, and you can be perfectly fit and perfectly healthy, and suddenly you you take a turn for the worst unexpectedly. Uh, And if you're flying an aeroplane on your own, solo, um, with a load of passengers behind you, that could be quite catastrophic. Yes, it could. Okay, good, right.
3: (laughs) Very understated point. Yeah,
2: indeed. I genuinely don't know if I can see them doing that, certainly in my lifetime. Um, I, I mean, I think it might be something perhaps in, in the future that, that that will be a real problem. But uh, yeah, I'd like to sort of think that it was never likely to happen. Really, there there is something that makes me feel quite un, uncomfortable about there only being one person in the cockpit, uh, especially yeah, after. Was it was I it that not. German Wings, Jeff? Uh, uh, not uh, not Jeff, sorry, uh, Nev. The German Wings wasn't that. Um, the one where it got flown into uh, uh, the plane got flown into a mountain, wasn't it, by a rogue well, pilot, yes, and the the,
0: the the captain was locked out of the uh, yeah of the cockpit. I mean, I think the good thing I would say about the air, the commercial airline industry generally worldwide is that in most large countries. Um, the pilots' unions have considerable clout Mm. when it comes to the operation of these aircraft and the terms and conditions that they will accept. And I think that's a very good thing because it obviously deals with, you know, pay and conditions and that kind of thing. But also there's a big safety piece as well and I'm I'm very glad to see and hear certainly in the US and in Europe and Canada and many other places as well that the the union representation is is so strong um uh, and therefore you know I think there's a, a much better chance of keeping two people in the cockpit uh, at least um for, for the foreseeable for future
2: the seat, I hope. Yeah. yeah I mean as a nervous passenger as well I mean you know that's the only sort of place i can go back to to with this is that as a nervous passenger the thought of only being of there only being one pilot in a very large aircraft in charge of so many people does make me feel quite uncomfortable i know the cabin crew there obviously will do whatever they can to look after them but at the end of the day aren't they aren't the ones in the cockpit flying the airplane um you know i just i don't know i i i really hope that there is never a situation where we have only one person flying a, you know, a commercial jet. I don't have a problem with GA, but then most GA planes planes have got sort of four, maybe six people tops in them. And I do feel that's a very sort of different situation, you know, to, to having hundreds of lives uh, behind you.
0: And also all the current aircraft are specifically built for at least two crew operation, Mm. Um, you know, all all the automation that we see in these uh, commercial jet transports these days, you know, that all of it has been designed uh, around a two crew operation and um, it's going to take a, you know, if they are serious about a single pilot operation at any point, it's going to take a complete redesign of the aircraft, Mm. Light deck, I would have thought. Jeff, do you, do you agree with that? To, to, yeah, to... I, I agree.
3: Or the, They'll have to retrofit it in some way. And then, of course, uh, newer generation airplanes coming off the line could be designed you know, with that in mind to begin with. But uh, as um, Matt said, and I agree with him, uh, I think the chances of us seeing single pilot airliners with uh, passengers uh, is not going to be something that we're going to see. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll never see it. But if we do, it's not going to be something we're going to see in, in the near future.
2: No, I, I sincerely hope not. I sincerely hope not. Okay, who is next? I've lost track. And
4: next <laughs> is uh, Captain Jeff. Ah, I think it's my turn. turn. Excellent.
0: Yes, quite an interesting story here.
3: The, yeah, so this is from news.com.au. The pilots of a Malaysia Airlines flight didn't have accurate speed data while taking off from Brisbane because someone left the covers over the plane's speed probes. Whoa. Oopsie. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau has told all operators to review procedures for removing the covers so no other planes are put at risk. The covers, which are designed to keep insects away from speed probes, were not removed before the A330 took off on July 18th, leaving the crew with... Uh, without accurate data about how fast it was going, ATSB Chief Commissioner Greg Hood said that the three covers were in place on the aircraft as it pushed back from the terminal as the plane accelerated down the runway. This, what? Was on the aircraft as it pushed back and as the plane accelerated down the runway. Okay. It's limited. Go ahead. Are you trying to say something?
2: No, 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 no. I, I, okay. I was, I was more commenting. I don't know whether maybe it's because it's. Um, well, it's Australian isn't. It? They speak differently
3: to us anyway. It's fine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just a reading error on my part. I think. No, 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 no,
2: no. Uh, it's definitely not your fault. I, I would, I would never ever uh, 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 say for a safe moment. That oh, it could
3: not possibly be my. Fault.
2: Correct answer. Very good.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Anyway, uh, this guy, uh, the ATSB Chief Commissioner Greg Hood, said this limited the amount of information, critical information, that was available to the flight crew during takeoff. Uh, The plane reached 10,000 feet before it returned to Brisbane, landing safely with no one hurt. Mr. Hood said it was a serious incident and the ATSB's investigation was not yet over. We'll be focusing specifically on the procedures for the flight crew and ground crew in relation to the pre-flight checks on aircraft, he said. Investigators are also focusing on the cockpit warnings received by the crew as they sped down the runway. The ATSB has issued a safety notice to all airlines to review their procedures and make sure covers cannot be accidentally left in place again. And they have some nice little pictures of here uh, here of the pitot probe covers. Indeed. Yes. Like no, the, I, did,
2: I did put some of them up while you were chatting. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, he, uh, yeah. He you'll was
3: note there. that they are—they uh, have some burn marks on them because these uh, pitot probes are heated, and they do get very, very hot. And uh, yeah, this is something you know. You'll note that uh, they are a very bright red color, and the reason for that, of course, is so that when a pilot is doing their walk around, uh, they, their pre-flight they should... exterior inspection, and if they're using vigilance, they'll notice that the pitot probes have these bright red covers on them, and that is to alert that person to say, hmm, maybe I should take Take those covers off.
2: Now,
0: I'm not um, trying to, you know, reduce the seriousness of this at all, but, of course, uh, this is on the captain's side of the aircraft, isn't it? So there is a duplicate set of pitot probes on the first officer's side, I would imagine. So, obviously, there's a a disagreement straight away between between the, the two speed indicators and I'm, I'm just wondering i'm not sure well, this is an a- a330 obviously but what do you think about on other aircraft types jeff do you think the, there's some uh, sort of um, intelligence on board the aircraft if if there's a speed disagree b- between the two systems
3: yeah well I, I think that um well first of all if you miss these things and and it, did the article say here uh, that uh, it was just the one side and the other side didn't have them on as i didn't see that part
0: no, I just kind of made that up, really, because it just talks about the captain's side throughout. It doesn't mention okay. anything about the first officer's side.
3: So the, these probes are actually on the captain's side, but on most of the airplanes that I've flown, the probes that are actually on the captain's side exterior are uh, the pedo and static and all the stuff for the first officer's uh, instruments. And then my probes are, it may be different with Airbus, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, if it was the case that only one side had the covers on and the other side did not then of course you would definitely have a discrepancy and that would I would imagine be noted early on in the takeoff and uh, you know before the high-speed realm of uh, the abort uh, envelope and uh, apparently uh, they didn't really work this out until they were beyond that point when they were in the high-speed realm and decided to continue the takeoff and actually continue the flight. Uh, now we do have procedures that um, help us in the situation where we have unreliable airspeed and other indications that rely on pitot-static systems. Uh, for instance, uh, pitch pictures or you know setting your pitch at a certain attitude on the attitude indicator and certain power settings that will give you certain performance, and that's called a control performance kind of concept where. You know that if you do this and you do this, then you should get this performance. And so there, uh, and those are things that we learn about and practice in simulators and such. But it still, I would imagine, be something that would be uh, quite a, a surprise and might take a while to kind of work out and uh, get everything under control.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. interesting stuff. Yeah. So Is I it, would it's... imagine
3: that um, these pilots. Especially the one uh, that was doing the exterior inspection will have to talk to somebody Hmm. about uh, explaining why, why he or she did not see these things on tea and biscuits with the chief pint maybe yeah. yes
2: <laughs> indeed indeed is it is is i mean it, you know is is the solution to this making them you know high vis and bright yellow so that they i mean they, they 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 seem quite sort of obvious to miss against uh it seems they seem quite difficult to miss if you like against the white fu- fuselage of of, of an aeroplane i i i just you know if 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 it was painted red i could understand why it might sort of blend into the background but uh,
3: yeah well, or you can be like many airlines out there, uh, such as mine, where we do not put the we don't put covers on our pedo probes and right. uh, other uh, static ports and that kind of thing. Uh, mainly because the uh, the risk of forgetting them and getting into this kind of situation is greater than the, the possibility yeah. of some insects or whatever getting in there. So I don't okay. know what the percentages of airlines around the world that do use the covers and do not use the covers but at acme airlines uh, i've never never seen a uh, cover on. That.
2: i mean i could un- i could understand it if it was say being taken out of commission for a couple of weeks or it sure. was going into the workshop for maintenance or something like that i can understand why you would put those those on them but as you say i mean most of these aircraft are, you know they're, they're spending probably 12 you know maybe 12 to 16 hours on the ground before somebody else gets in it and flies somewhere else they're never on the ground for long as you say
3: Right. And one of the thing, we've had instances in the past where uh, it's been a, a very, very long time, but occasionally an airplane will be scheduled for a, like a deep cleaning, exterior deep cleaning, right. and to prevent um, water being ingested into static ports and pitot ports uh, or pitot tubes, they'll actually you know, put covers on, or in the case of the static ports, they'll actually put tape over the um, – it's kind of a flat uh, port on the uh, side of the aircraft – with little pinholes and uh, that's one of the things we specifically look for when we're doing our exterior walk around that you know there isn't tape left on these things Uh, and it was a 727 in fact um, back I don't know probably close to 30 years ago that took off from uh, I think Fort Myers or Sarasota heading uh, somewhere uh, probably to Atlanta and uh, they immediately after takeoff realized that uh, they're static instruments were giving them bad information and they uh, diverted to Orlando, landed there, and then they discovered uh, upon landing or uh, the exterior inspection upon landing that the uh, static ports had been covered. Right. Maybe they took off from Tampa because I think Tampa is one of those pla- uh, bases where they do that kind of cleaning procedure that's a, yeah. that's a maintenance base. So I always think about that incident uh, and when I'm doing my walk around and I always pay Close attention to the static ports to make sure that somebody hasn't covered them with something.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, I suppose paying devil's advocate, it is very easy to perhaps become a little bit complacent in your walk around check, perhaps, but uh, I suppose that's, you know, yeah. so this, this sort of highlights the, the need for, for not doing so.
3: Yeah, complacency is uh, deadly uh, in many, many different ways. Mm.
2: Yeah, agreed very
0: much. So. Or can be. Anyway. Yeah absolutely my last two wives have mentioned that me,
3: but... <gasps> oh dear, here we
0: go <laughs> Anyway,
3: moving on deadly to your, your relationship and
2: my bank account
0: okay, um, indeed
2: yes Abort, aboard everyone uh right. <laughs>
0: so, so moving on uh swiftly to the independent.co.uk and you know how we try and steer away from the brexit discussions the what now <laughs> that's it are we having but one no, are we we're, we're, we're right back <laughs> Uh, Carlos has chosen a story for us that's because uh, he's probably... not
2: here That's why.
0: <laughs> yes and uh, it says that seven months before the UK is due to leave the European Union the independent has identified ten Cinderella flights these planes will depart from five British airports on the evening of the 29th of March 2019 whilst the UK is still a member of the EU but they will all arrive at their destination after Brexit, which is due to take place at 11pm Greenwich Mean Time. As the clock strikes midnight Central European time, these flights will cease to be intra-EU services under the Open Skies Agreement and become flights from outside the European Union. Passengers with British passports will be full EU citizens when they board the flights from Heathrow, Gatwick, Luton, Doncaster and Liverpool, But by the time they arrive, they could be classed as third country nationals with no automatic right of admission to the European Union and the prospect of strict customs checks. First touchdown in the post-Brexit EU will be the BA flight from Heathrow to Athens. It leaves the UK's busiest airport at 7.25pm and is scheduled to arrive in the Greek capital at 1.05am local time, just five minutes after the Brexit deadline. The one-way fare is currently £253 irrelevant. Wow. But they put it in. Uh the next two post Brexit Brexit <laughs> arrivals are due in at 11:30 uh, p.m. UK time, uh, SAS from Heathrow to Stockholm and Wizz Air from Luton to its Budapest base. Mm. The warmest welcome in terms of temperature at least is likely to be in Malta where an Airbus belonging to Air Malta arrives from Heathrow at 11:40 GMT. You can tell who's chosen this story, can't you? Yes, Perhaps.
2: indeed. The mention of Malta was the giveaway here for me personally, but uh, yeah. there we are. I mean, well, it... the, the the story goes
0: on in some considerable detail, although okay. actually I'm I'm not trying to start a Brexit <laughs> conversation. I really aren't. I'm not, but I honestly think that even if they they miss the deadline for all this in March, which they they probably will, by the
4: sound of things, <laughs> yeah. um,
0: I, I think this is going to get properly sorted out one way or the other. I, I just do not believe there's going to be big mm-hmm. trouble in the aviation sector. Certainly w- within the European region, I, I really don't
3: much you, about nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I mean, are you familiar? Are you aware of Brexit where you are, Jeff? I mean,
3: uh, I have no idea what's going on over there. No, well no neither no, do we. I, you're
2: not alone there. I was, it was just more like uh... well, Of course we're, yes. we are.
3: Yes, we were fully aware of uh, <laughs> right. the big vote and uh, the things that are happening and the people that are freaking out about things and Yeah. Uh, you know the the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Right.
2: Good. Yes. Lovely. That that sounds about right. Yes. I think you've got a handle on it. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty much it. We we are. I do keep saying to Carlos and they've actually and and I think we will have to do one at some point. We are we are planning a sort of Brexit related special um, at some point. Uh, probably a little bit nearer the deadline when we know a few more details and facts. Because at the long and the short of it is, our own government has no idea what's going to happen when when said uh, uh, deadline. Passes, so I think uh, you know there, there will be uh, time for discussion, and Pip has already expressed excitement about participating in said. Uh uh, yeah, I think if we're yeah.
0: both on the same show, someone's going to have to referee it. Definitely. Yes, yes. No, that's all right.
2: So, so we may need to borrow either Auntie Liz or Dr. Steph, I think, for that one. Because, yes, you know... We need some uh, yeah. distinct mediation there. Cause yeah, think it could indeed. That's what right? I
3: don't think I'll be watching. Right. Good, oh, good. that's no fun. Good call,
2: they huh? Good call. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. So, uh, yes, so uh, watch this space, ladies and gentlemen. A Brexit special will be coming at some point. Uh, but as I say, a bit nearer the deadline when we may have some actual facts to share with you rather than... This continuous hearsay, which I think we're all getting a bit bored of. Anyway, shall I move on? Let's get Let's get out of this dangerous cul-de-sac. Uh, cul-de-sac. And we move on to the Aviation Herald, which uh, was mentioned. That's, uh, that's more like it. Yes, it? absolutely. A bit of quality uh, aviation journalism going on, and it's actually uh, a sort of difficult story, really. It's uh, it's uh, the it's involving an accident. The capital of Beijing, A320 at is it Maku on the 28th of Macau. August, Macau. Sorry, 28th of August 2018 dropped nose wheels. On a hard touchdown. Now, Carlos was actually showing me some of these pictures when we were, and I'll, when I finished reading the story, I'll, I'll pop them up for you. Uh, but uh, yeah, so a Capital Airlines uh, Beijing Airbus A320 200, registration uh, Bravo 6952, performing flight Juliet Delta. 5759 from Beijing to Macau uh, with 157 passengers and nine crew, was on final approach from Macau uh, runway 34 into the flare already when the uh, aircraft encountered a wind shear and touched down hard. The crew initiated a go around, received indications of left engine uh, CFM56 failure and suspecting gear damage declared mayday. The uh, aircraft diverted to is it Shenzhen? Is that right? Shenzhen? Shenzhen yes. in China. Sorry, I'm not very good at these. Uh, and landed on runway 34 about 40 minutes after the rejected landing. The aircraft became disabled on the runway with both nose wheels missing from the nose gear strut. Runway 34 was closed for about three hours until the aircraft was moved off the runway. Runway 15/33 remained operational. The uh, missing wheels were recovered from uh, Macau's runway. China's CAAC reported the aircraft attempted landing at Macau at 1116 uh, L. What does that mean? Local. Local. Oh, I see. Very good. Yes, 1116 local. Uh, 0316 Zulu. I know what the Z meant. Uh, <laughs> but it was unsuccessful. The crew went around. The crew declared mayday and requested emergency services on standby in Shenzhen, reporting possible landing gear failure. The aircraft landed in Shenzhen's runway 34 at around about 11.58 local. That's 3.58 uh, in the morning Zulu time. It was subsequently found. Both nose wheels were missing. The aircraft was evacuated. Five passengers were taken to hospital with minor injuries. Shenzhen's runway 34 was temporarily closed. CAA Shenzhen has uh, open, uh, have an open investigation into the occurrence. I won't go, because the next bit of it is all about uh, Dieter's data that means absolutely nothing to me whatsoever. Um, well, I was just going to ask, actually, whether
0: if Jeff's got the story up here, whether you could sort of decipher some of the meters yeah. uh, reported at Macau and Shenzhen. Forces.
3: Yes, I can. But before I do that, uh, that little uh, paragraph that uh, Matt is skipping is right. actually a very important okay. one, because... Uh, the uh, Basically, I'll, I'll uh, give you the, uh, the condensed version.
2: Okay.
3: Um, it, it came down, hit hard uh, at 7.7 7 degrees nose up and 2.4 Gs. That's 2.4 times the, uh, you, the natural force of gravity. Uh, they touched down a second time at 15 degrees nose up. So imagine an airplane with the uh, nose of the, uh, is very, very high up, uh, the tail very far down. And they hit the runway again at 3.4 g's. It's a lot of g forces, hard. The aircraft bounced again, and the third time they touched down. The third time they touched down, <laughs> uh, the nose gear, the nose was down 7.7 7 degrees. So it was well, it was pointing down and hit the nose wheel first before any other part of the landing gear system on the airplane. Wow. That's what sheared the wheels off, and
2: that's quite a, that's quite an angle isn't it that's quite a degree yes. of uh, of um, yeah I mean that I mean it, I don't again explain the sort of the wind shear thing I mean I assume it's basically a very large gust of wind that is is what sort of screwed this
3: up essentially sort of it can be a large gust of wind it can be a a very large gust of, like a, a increasing tailwind which basically all of a sudden means the wings are without. Uh, any lift momentarily or the lift is severely uh, impacted and uh, the, the big thing here is that uh, you know you have to analyze everything uh, early on in your final approach and landing and then you have to make the decision whether to continue or to go around, go around. <laughs> so um, sorry we talked yeah. about this actually on our last uh, APG yeah. which has not yet been published and uh, we had a good discussion about it on, uh, on our show as well. But uh, the, the uh, METARs here that uh, you were referring to, mm. Nev, uh, looks like they, they, uh, the winds were about 17 knots and actually uh, varying quite uh, significantly, anywhere from 170 degrees to 240 degrees. So they're shifting all over the place direction-wise, and, uh, but then they're strong. There's a light. Uh, rain shower in this first uh, METAR and uh, cumulonimbus clouds, you know, which is what you're going to have with thunderstorms and such. And then uh, the next one uh, also talks about the variability of the direction of the wind, Uh, except this one is uh, the wind showing quite a bit lighter, only four knots. Uh, But there are, uh, uh, there's also a temporary um, mention in the weather observation uh, where the winds are anywhere from 15 uh, gusting to 25 knots in a in thunderstorms so it, it was not a nice day it no was no
2: it's not good conditions uh, it's uh it's almost your worst worst nightmare isn't it because i suppose again in in said situation everything happens so fast yes. um you know a sort of sudden drop in wind and stuff and it's it's the incident is happening if you like almost before you're you're that aware of it perhaps
3: Yeah, so the thing that I took away from this, and if this is accurate, uh, that paragraph that has all the information about the Mm. pitch angles and the G-forces, the very last sentence that says, about five seconds after the third bounce, the go-around was initiated.
2: Right.
3: Uh, The go-around should have been initiated either before they touched down the first time or after the first bounce, not after the third bounce. So they were trying to salvage a very, very bad landing, and uh, the decision, I think, was made too late to uh, to go around.
0: And also, do you think, Jeff, that um, presumably on this aircraft there would be automatic spoiler deployments with, with the weight on wheels? Yeah. So actually, that, that could have given them a, a, quite a serious problem on the go-around as well if they if they weren't careful, I'd imagine.
3: Yes, I'm not sure exactly. I've never flown the Airbus myself. Um, I, I don't know exactly what's required to get the auto spoilers to deploy, mm-hmm. um, it, but... Certainly, part of that is strut compression uh, on the uh, main landing gear. Uh, Some airplanes at strut compression, in other words, touching down and uh, the struts, uh, well, compressing. Uh, Also, uh, wheel spin-up. I'm not sure in this case if they would have gotten the uh, spin-up on the first uh, hard bounce, uh, possibly. Uh, But you're right. Uh, Once the uh, auto-spoilers deploy, um, it can be quite a... Tricky situation, but uh, regardless, I think the Airbus and people that are listening to the show will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. If you advance the, uh, I'm not going to call them the wrong thing, Captain L. The uh, not the <laughs> thrust levers, but the uh, what? What do we call them? <laughs> Darn it! Th- throttles or throttle no uh, oh, maybe uh, no thrust levers is correct thrust yeah excellent levers, um, <laughs> yeah. i call them throttles yeah um, he'll, he'll write advancing... to us don't worry it, it'll be fine he'll he'll <laughs> send us a tweet don't worry <laughs> <laughs> the thrust levers uh into the the toga position the takeoff go around position um i think will retract the spoilers but i'm not positive about that again i don't i'm not qualified to fly this airplane
2: uh, it, it, it's, it's worth noting here, actually. Uh, Lee, Lee just put his phone in front of me. Basically, it's a comment in the chat room here from Carlos Stebbings, who is obviously very busy this evening, uh, saying uh, that they were apparently they were attempting a pilot pip seeding landing. Uh, that was uh, what the problem oh. was. <laughs> I just, just, I just try to get him into trouble. That's all. How did I do?
3: Uh- <laughs> and- yeah, Nico says, uh, so what you're saying is uh, you cannot always go around, Jeff? Oh, dear. Well, yeah,
2: <laughs> indeed. Yes. As you say, perhaps they should have done it in this, uh, this uh, particular incident. Yeah, I wasn't so there. That, it's hard to, that, you know. i
3: insult to
0: injury at the airport, probably charged them three landing fees. Yes. Jen certainly
3: would have. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, quite right. Absolutely. Especially,
2: especially yeah. given the damage, of course. If you've if you've lost an, yeah. a, a runway for three or four hours while they clear up the mess, but uh, yep. there yeah. we are. I mean, seriously, obviously, I mean that must have done quite substantial damage to to the runway just for no other reason than because the um uh you know like the the when it when they landed with no wheels at all. I mean that must have done some serious damage to the tarmac.
3: That was at uh, their uh, at Shenzhen. Shenzhen uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, Macau. I'm sure that they had to. I know that they had to shut down the runway for a while because there was all kinds of debris yeah. on the uh, runway.
2: Yeah, indeed. It's uh, yes. It's it's not one to be repeated. I think uh, this particular nope. this the particular incident, as you say, and perhaps uh, if the data that we have in front of us uh, is to be believed, uh, perhaps the incident wasn't handled as perhaps. You know, as well as it could have been, maybe that's... Uh... I should also
3: point out, though, that um, they are probably going to be able to use the airplane again. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I yes. had heard that, actually, Jeff, on a, on a separate sort of story. Okay, though. so really? uh, it was a,
3: then technically a good landing. Right. Okay. It's yes. Okay. Because,
2: because, because it did the airplane. Yeah. It didn't write the airplane off. Therefore, it's a good landing. Yes. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Isn't Isn't that from the uh, the School of Airplane the uh, the film?
4: Isn't it? <laughs> so. I, it may be. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah.
2: Indeed, it was a good landing because it didn't write off the aircraft. Great news. Uh, okay. I think we should move on. Uh <laughs> yes. I think I think it's um, Captain Jeff next.
3: Oh boy. Okay. Um, oh, you know what? I think I just did. I just closed the window that had the uh, news story in it, so I'm going to try to (laughs) retrieve it. There we go. Using my shortcut. There we go. Um, Is this the one that says, want to work in Asia? Yeah, it is. Okay. One profession is hiring in a big way. Uh, This is from CNBC, another source of fake news. (laughs) If you're looking for a new job, consider packing your bags, training as a pilot, and moving to Asia. According to U.S. aircraft manufacturer Boeing, which says that the Asia-Pacific region is set to go on a hiring spree for hundreds of thousands of new airline staff over the next two decades. Rising wealth and growing travel demand means that new staff, including 240,000 pilots, 242,000 technicians, and 317,000 cabin crew, will be required across the region by 2037, a new report by Boeing found China is forecast to lead that boon, requiring half of the nearly 800,000 anticipated new hires, followed by Southeast Asia and South Asia. And then they have a breakdown of all the different requirements from the different regions, and you'll be able to see that. I'm sure you'll have this in the show notes so they can click on it and look at it themselves. Yeah, no problem. The new jobs are likely to be primarily with commercial airlines, however, as affluence. Affluence in the region grows. Growth in demand for other types of aviation, such as private luxury jets, can be expected. Strong demand for pilots in the region continues, and we expect that this will continue for the next several years, according to Keith Cooper, Vice President of Training and Professional Services for Boeing Global Services. Uh, The hiring spree is expected to breathe new life into the aviation industry as large number of pilots from the baby boomer generation, I'm one of those. Are set to retire over the coming decade. It could also be some way in addressing the gender gap in the aviation industry, which was traditionally, uh, which has traditionally been one of the most pronounced. Currently in the United States, women account for just 7% of all pilots and less than 10% of other technical positions, according to 2017 data from the Federal Aviation Administration's Aeronautical Center. Meanwhile, women make up close to 80% of flight attendant roles. So I guess what they're saying is we need more women mechanics and pilots and fewer cabin crew. I don't know. (laughs) I
2: think I think we just need more more of everyone. I think really I think it, I yeah. think it fair to say that. I mean there there is a, a quite a well known pilot shortage in most uh, western regions certainly. I, I can't va- vouch for sort of you know the eastern regions, but uh, yeah they, they you know there does seem to be a, a genuine shortage. So uh, if you can afford it, I suppose is where we go with that particular statement. Then then there is a job for you waiting out there if you can afford to become a pilot.
3: Well, if the shortage gets bad, bad enough, uh, it's not going to be a, the question of whether you're going to be able to afford to get the training required to get hired. It's going to be the airlines are going to, are going to be paying for it, I mean, if it gets that bad. Train. And this is another reason why the aircraft manufacturers and airline uh, managers around the world are praying that somebody will crack the nut and make it so that, you know, flying an airplane with just one pilot uh, or no pilots um, will happen. I mean, they're, it's a pipe dream, in my opinion. But you can see why they're they're kind of uh, concerned about this because that's a huge number of requirements for pilots and mm. uh, technicians and cabin crew.
2: Well, I suppose, and yes, if you are in literally in a situation where you only require one pilot to fly the airplane, you've suddenly got double the amount Half. of pilots available to you. Um, exactly. Yeah, I still don't like it. I don't care. <laughs> I agree. I, w- I want two. Thank you. I'm greedy like that. I would like two in cockpits at all times. <laughs>
3: I mean, we. I remember uh, when I started my career, um, that we had several airplanes that had three pilots. Right. right. Uh, well, or some airlines worked it as two pilots and a flight engineer, but in, in my airline, we were all pilots. And when they made the move to go from three crew members to two, I and many others looked at it as a decrease in the safety margin and i still right. hold that that's true and going from two to one is just inside it's not doable yeah it's yeah.
2: stupid it's just absolutely stupid yeah, I'm I i, I I'm using a slightly odd analogy here, but uh, the DLR here in London is a train service that is capable of running completely autonomously. It doesn't need to have guards or train drivers or operators or anything like that on, on the actual um, train to drive it. And they have literally someone, literally I've seen them do it, they lift up a panel and they sit there and pretend to drive the train because it makes people feel more comfortable because there is a a guard or or, or someone on there, and they're they're, they're literally just pretending to drive the train. So the train itself is actually 100% autonomous. It doesn't need to have any kind of human input whatsoever. But the general public do not feel comfortable on a train that runs on its own with no one else on it, with with nobody sort of taking responsibility.
3: Yeah, the uh, train that I use to take uh, from where I live to the airport and back uh, is the same kind of a system that is mostly... Uh, autonomous although i think the train driver uh does open and close the doors oh
2: yes yes very important job uh, yes but but, uh
3: you know they're they're up there and i think the pretty pretty much the thing is kind of doing its own thing Mm -hmm. you know once they hit the button that says it's okay to go
2: yeah i have it on good authority that most of the london underground operates in exactly the uh, in exactly the same way um but uh there we are. I, I don't know, I, I do, I, you know, it's the same, isn't it? It's it's a fail safe, I suppose, if you've got somebody, if nothing else, you've got somebody else there to raise the alarm if something goes wrong. I mean, this is right. this is the thing. I mean, if you've had the person in the cockpit who's pa- the only person in the cockpit, you know, flying, I mean, it's, the, the cabin crew aren't going to be aware that anything's wrong until the plane starts to sort of you know, if it suddenly does something it's not supposed to. I mean, if it's in sort of autopilot and keeps flying, I mean, it would be a very long time before somebody realised something was wrong, perhaps. Anyway, we're going back to an earlier story. We should probably move on.
3: (laughs) Forward (laughs) we go.
0: Yeah. This next story is on the uh, Jewish Link of New Jersey website. And this is, I think, an interesting story because so often you've got... um, aircraft carriers around the world uh, transiting countries and trying to find landing rights w- with countries that are barely speaking to each other and this is a, another one of those i'm afraid and um, major british and french airlines announced on thursday that they plan to halt flights to iran from September, citing business reasons. The decisions come in the wake of US President Donald Trump's reimpositions of, of sanctions upon Iran. BA said that it was suspending its London to Tehran service, as the operation is currently not commercially viable. The airline, owned by Spanish-registered IAG, said that its last outbound flight from London to Tehran will be on September 22nd, and its last inbound flight from Tehran Excuse me, will be on uh, September the 23rd. Air France will stop flights from Paris to Tehran from September the 18th because of the line's weak performance an airline spokesman spokesman said. As the number of business customers flying to Iran has fallen, the connection is not profitable anymore. Air France is part of the Air France KLM group, and the Dutch airline KLM announced in July that it was halting flights to Tehran. German airline Lufthansa said it had no plans to stop flying to Iran at this time. We are closely monitoring these developments. For the time being, Lufthansa will continue to fly to Tehran as scheduled, and no changes are envisaged, it said in an emailed statement. The airline's decision was welcomed by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And today we learned that three major carriers, BA, KLM, and Air France, have discontinued their activities in Iran. This is a good thing. More airlines should follow. More will follow because Iran should not be rewarded for its aggression in the region. For its attempt to spread terrorism far and wide, Netanyahu told a news conference during a visit to Lithuania. Iran's ambassador to London expressed regret at British Airways' decision, considering the high demand, the decision by uh, by the airline is regrettable. He tweeted, "I think it's one of those things that it's uh, these things come and go uh, as events change around the world, don't they? And uh, one minute everything's just working a treat." And the next minute, uh, there's big problems and sanctions between various countries. And it affects everything, actually. It affects, obviously, the, the commerce between countries, but it also affects the transport links as well. And, and that's uh, that's pretty important, I, think.
2: I can't help but feel that there seems to be more falling out going on between the US and its otherwise usually quite sort of understanding uh, trade partners uh, since a, a recent election. Uh... <laughs> It does,
0: does, that, that may have had some effects.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of falling out going along that, that I'm pretty sure wasn't occurring before, let's put it that way. Yeah,
0: and I think... Well, it, well you know...
3: It, go
0: ahead. No, off to you, Jeff,
3: <laughs> no, 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 I was just saying that, uh, you know, this is a country that has publicly stated that its goal is to wipe out the nation of Israel. Yes. So, yeah. that's not a very... You
2: know. It's not. It's quite. It's quite a hostile approach, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's a hostile. A little harsh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, not sending out any teddy bears anytime soon. It's I'm not of saying
3: you know everybody there believes that no, themselves. No. But, uh,
2: I don't think anybody here believes that either. But it's just like, yes, it's it's it's, it's yes, it's not all warm and fuzzy, is it? Oh. Uh, <laughs> we don't like that. Uh, anyway, before we get sued by. We'll, we'll, yeah, do you know, a part of me is actually thinking I would love uh, Plain Talking UK, UK to actually end up as one of the things that Donald Trump's tweets about. How cool would that be? <laughs> get the listing figures up. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, there'll be a lot, a lot of people listening to us who, who will wonder what on earth we're all about. But uh, there we are. That's. Uh, there's a lot of people listening right now who wonder what on earth we're all about, but that's uh, that's another Thank story you. entirely. Uh, okay, uh, who's going to sit next?
3: I, I believe it's my turn.
2: Ooh, excellent. Yes.
3: And um, I, I've been listening to this show for quite some time, and I'm still trying to figure out what it's all about. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, just joking, of course. <laughs> this is from com. <laughs> Lauda motion or Lada motion? How would you pronounce Lada. that? Lauda. That's, that's okay. Lauda, Okay, Lauda motion to double Airbus fleet to 18 aircraft in 2019. Austria-based budget airline Lauda motion is set to double the size of it. Oh, I just read that. Uh, <laughs> in order to promote growth, Lauda motion is expected to implement a number of initiatives. Initiative. Hello. A number of uh, initiatives, including the addition of new aircraft livery to reflect its Austrian heritage and establish new offices in the capital city of Vienna to accommodate additional staff. The company will also appoint Christian Euler-Rolle as personnel director from 1 September. Lauda Motion CEO Andreas Gruber said, Lauda Motion now faces the future with great confidence, backed by the enormous financial strength of Ryanair our new majority uh, shareholder, and Europe's largest airline. Lauda Motion has already achieved load factors over 90% in its first summer season, thanks to the efforts of over 500 Lauda Motion colleagues, or colleagues, most people pronounce it as. (laughs) These nine additional 2019 Airbus deliveries ensure that Lauda Motion will grow again by at least 20% in 2019 to 5 million guests per annum. The I guess that's what the P slash A stands for, right? Yeah. <laughs> the company also revealed plans to roll out more low fare flights for customers based in Austria and Germany. Ryanair's newly completed acquisition is based on an agreement reached in March this year. Under the deal, Ryanair paid 50 million pounds, no, euros, 50 million euros to buy a 75% stake in Loud Emotion, but will provide an additional. Fifty million euros for startup and operating costs in the first year.
0: There you have. It. that's yeah, um that's good. good to see um, some growth going on there. Um,
3: that well, new livery there, that, that photo. Wow. I don't know if. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I, I, I did Matt pop it
2: up. Yeah, yeah, give me showing it.
3: Um, it's kind of hard to tell them what airline that is. Um, yeah, you,
2: so, you see so, that. So is this a, <laughs> is this a sort of. Um, a sort of like a collaborative sort of effort between Ryanair and this this company or is it just his his excuse almost to to um I don't know open up another airline it just seems very odd to find you know the 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 head of Ryanair essentially sort of thumbs upping another aircraft airline this is this is just I don't know well it,
0: it's yes, all obviously-
3: becoming part of his empire yeah. uh, and
0: it's it's going to be, uh, they're taking a 75% share in the airline. So right, uh, okay.
2: That's quite a big benefit. share. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Indeed, okay. All right, well, um, there we are, I suppose. So I'll take the last story then, if I may, gents. And the uh, headline uh, in uh, the, uh, the Post and Courier, Uh, website is that the Dreamliners are stacking up at Boeing's North Charleston site so a growing number of 787 Dreamliners are crowding the flight line at Boeing Company's North Charleston campus with analysts pointing to supply delays as one of the causes. Is this one of the ones that's got the problem with the engines as well? But yes. you have yeah. to imagine Captain Nick reading this out. Right, yeah, no, no, let's pretend that's not happening. Uh, so a growing number of, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, done that, but they, so the flight, line, <laughs> I'm not doing very well here, we'll move on to the next paragraph. The flight line has been increasingly crowded as Dreamliners are rolled out of the main assembly building and parked up in every spot that is available, including the North Charleston Delivery Centre. Uh, Seth said on his All Things 787 website uh, uh, Sheth I think is how that's pronounced, uh, who tracks streamline production activity, said at least six planes have been delayed because of slow deliveries of seats or engines, with two more planes held up at the request of customers. Another jet uh, for Air China has been sitting in storage for unknown reasons. The aircraft was assembled over five months ago, but it hasn't had its engines installed Uh, Boeing is downplaying the existence of any problems at the South Carolina plant. Deliveries can vary from month to month for a variety of reasons, including customer preferred timing, said a Boeing spokesman. Uh, We remain on track to meet our full year delivery commitments. Boeing delivered 136 streamliners to customers in 2017. The customer, the company, sorry, did not announce uh, a target for 787 deliveries this year, but said that it expects all commercial plane deliveries to increase by about 6.8% over last year's record numbers. Cowan Group analysts. Predict 144 Dreamliner deliveries in 2018. Boeing plans to increase its monthly 787 production rate to 14 from 12 uh, in in 2019. Split between North Charleston and its other Dreamliner assembly point in Everett Wash. So Scheth's. Uh, production numbers show the North Charleston campus delivered three planes in July and he expects the same total that uh, this month. That compares with seven deliveries in June and six in May. Unless Charleston deliveries pick up very soon, Boeing may have to look for new and innovative ways to store undelivered 787s. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Scott Hamilton, who's the editor of uh, the aviation website Leham News and Comment, said Boeing's overall supply chain is in meltdown pointing to dozens of 737s parked at the aerospace's giant Renton wash site because they are awaiting parts. Oh, dear, that's uh, slightly worrying, isn't it? The story goes on, but you basically get the gist. There are some issues with, um, with, it would appear that there are some issues with getting certain parts for aircraft.
0: Yes, I think the problem, well, obviously, from a, a cash flow point of view, obviously... Boeing would like to deliver these aircraft oh, and, yes. and get paid for them. So <laughs> apart from the slightly awkward problem of where to store these things, mm. uh, it must be giving them a, a big cash flow uh, yeah. a problem as well with deliveries. It's
2: certainly think. giving some accountants somewhere a bit of a headache. I have no doubt. It's so, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, are those probably you know are those financial penalties going to be passed on to the suppliers causing the issue though? Um, I don't. I know. would hope yep. so.
0: I think Rolls Royce certainly have one or two.
2: Uh, right, yes, they've got a couple of uh, claims going against them in in the foreseeable future. Yes, indeed, yes. But we'll, we'll we'll gloss over that and pretend Captain Nick is just a figment of all our imaginations. How does that sound? God,
3: uh, I'm a little disappointed, though. I was uh, there is a picture here of several 787s on the North Charleston yeah. ramp, um, and uh, the headline is that the uh, the uh, 787s are stacking up and they don't look like they're stacked <laughs> no, up at all you were they, sort of hoping for one on top of the other yes <laughs>
2: hmm. indeed media. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes well done yes they are so- well at, le- at least uh the ones in the pictures are actual 787s though that, that i am slightly excited I about
0: did. yeah
3: very <laughs> <That's> impressed
2: <interesting. laughs> <That is> absolutely- <laughs> didn't they do well <laughs> good on the posted courier yes. yes indeed yes well done. let well,
0: we bring to an end the commercial news segment so thanks everybody for your contributions there and thanks to carlos for putting all those stories together for us um um up next um is the interview that i did with one of our joint listeners actually jeff a chap called dr bo abrahamson and uh, he was over in uh, oxford Uh, just last week, just um, 15 miles from where I live here. And uh, he said, do you fancy meeting up? Because I'm I'm coming over for a bit of a social event. Um, And I said, yes, that's a good idea because we just happened to be in Oxford at the same time. So I took the camera gear with me and I thought we'd have a chat. And uh, the weather was just one of those really nice days down by the Thames when it was perfect. So uh, let's have a listen to his chat with me. Here we are down by the Thames in Oxford, and look who I've bumped into. It's Dr. Bro Abrahamson who is over here for some social activity, is that right?
5: That's right, I'm uh, going to a uh, to, uh, wedding anniversary, so I'm not here for work this time. Mm. Mm. I've often been here for work, but this is, this is pure pleasure. I don't know, work can be pleasurable as well, but this is, this is friends and family, so that's
0: wonderful. That's fantastic. And we've picked a nice day for it. The weather is just perfect. Not quite that hot weather that we had the other week, but... Um, no, yeah. no, that's right. The garden has almost recovered at home, so that's,
5: that's good. Yes, I'll please yeah. say that. So what about your flying boat? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, there's not much to tell. I'm quite embarrassed to say that I haven't really... I haven't done an awful lot of flying. I've, um, I've done the, um, done the uh, eight theory exams, and I've done the uh, radio certificate um, you need to have in, in, in Denmark to be able to do any, any RT as a student pilot. You have to do the certificate first, so um, um, so i 've been quite busy doing that, and I 'm trying to actually get some flying in and work's been really uh, really intense as well with a lot of travel so uh, so. Uh my CFIs keep telling me I should be flying at least twice a week and I'm sort of lucky if I can do it twice a month. So it's, it's really embarrassing, it's like <laughs> starting all over. Now in so, terms of GA in Denmark, what mm-hmm. are the
0: airspace restrictions like? Is there a lot more space there than there is here, for example?
5: That really depends on where you are. I mean, in some, some areas uh, there's a lot of space. Where we are in, uh, in the Copenhagen area, we, we, we're right under the uh, Copenhagen Airport TMA. So basically we are allowed up to 1,500 feet uh, and the airport elevation is 147. So you've got a little bit to work with between your, your sort of 1,000 feet ATL and your 1,500 mm. where you hit, bound into the uh, the, the TMA. Uh, so it's quite restricted um, in, that, in that area and it's a really mixed operation as well with lots of different types of flight training going on and, and commercial operations, rescue helicopters and stuff. So it, it's a very interesting place. Interesting place to fly. I find that really quite demanding. Um, might have been easier to start somewhere simpler, but I guess if you can, if you sort of do that, you can. probably be okay in many places. The hundreds of times I've
0: flown into Copenhagen Airport as a passenger, uh, visibility has always been a problem, or oh, certainly, certainly in the winter oh, right. operations. Okay. There's very often some, some low vis going on there. I'm, I'm yes. sure that must be quite difficult if you're a GA
5: person. You know, yeah, yeah,
0: I imagine so. I mean, or... I've. I've
5: what we've been flying, I've done. I've, I've done on really good VFR conditions, so I haven't really had any reason to complain. But we had some cancellations due to weather. Uh, that's true.
0: Yeah. What do you normally fly? What aircraft is your aircraft of choice at the
5: moment? Um, um, I'm am uh, training on the PA Twenty Eight, the One Forty, um, the sort of the, the, the short, stoppy wing one, the Piper Cherokee Cruiser, um, which is which is nice. It's if apparently. I can't really tell, but it, it flies differently from, from, from the art from the warrior wing, which is, is broader and, and floats more. Um, but the uh, commercial school I started at fly the uh, EVECTA Sport style, which is all Czech and modern and uh, different type of engine and all electronic, all glass cockpit, which I, I like the glass cockpit, but I found it really hard to fly. It was very, very sensitive, I thought, to, to any little bit of turbulence. So I think the, 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 um, the Piper Warrior type is... Is I think it's, it's heavier. It's easier to handle for me. I think even though I do it badly, it's not as bad as what I imagine. You know, could you imagine that? It's not. It's, it's not actually quite as bad what I'm doing in that one as what I was doing in the sport yeah. style, which is really nimble.
0: We always say, don't we, that uh, it's so expensive to to learn to fly in, in Europe, yeah. generally speaking. It is that is. the same in Denmark as well?
5: It is. Um, it is. It is a lot more expensive than than in the UK, and also you have to. To, to do more of a theory before you can do any serious flying I think so uh, so it's more of an investment having said that it does vary a lot as to whether you, you, you fly in a club or if you um, if you fly uh, for, with a commercial school. So what got you into GA flying in the first place? I think back when I was 18 I really wanted to uh, I really wanted to learn flying and I sort of joined the glider club and I, I never, for several reasons I never got to do to do to very much of that because it took me forever to get there on the bus. I didn't have a car. It was all, it's all actually just just very difficult to to find the time. And I, I sort of got engaged in doing lots of other things. And uh, once I started medical school, I didn't really think I had the time. Um, so it wasn't till I sort of started listening to all the aviation podcasts and thought, oh, you can you could actually why if you you didn't actually have to. Have to uh, to go for a PPL. You could just go on a discovery flight and see what it feels like and fly with an instructor, and uh, and uh, that's kind of how I got 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 back into the idea of maybe actually doing a PPL uh, would would be interesting. Um, I still don't still not sure I'm going to be able to go through with it, but at least I've I've done the theory, Um, so I got back to it um, and. It has been interesting learning all these things, but I'm learning it really slowly. I probably should have done this at 18. It would have been much easier.
0: (laughs) There's a bit of a theme I've noticed with the medical profession in that I know a lot of consultants and anaesthetists and all sorts of people that are very well qualified in in
5: the aviation sector as well. I wonder why that is? I don't know. I mean, it it used to be that uh, certainly American cardiologists were famous for buying high-performance aircraft and getting themselves killed because they didn't (laughs) have the skills to fly them. Um, I think apparently you can teach doctors to fly, just take, take longer um, than for other people. But I think I, I spoke to a CFI here who said that doctors probably over, overthink uh, flying. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I, I, I think I might underthink it
0: and a bit like dr Steph on the apg mm-hmm. show do you have a, a medical interest in aviation as well or do you keep the two subjects completely yeah. separate
5: i mean it was doing the human factors uh, for ppl it was actually a little bit confusing having the medical having the medical background because sometimes the answer they wanted wasn't the one i i thought was, you know it, it it was difficult finding out exactly what question they what answers that they want because if, if medicine is your area then you can you could probably come up with several ways of answering the same question and from the medical point of view though were was
0: that something which you uh w- wanted to get into from university for example did you study
5: especially for that for, for, for the uh, for the calcium area yeah. uh not really no i mean i when i was at medical school I, I wasn't even sure i was going to do medicine um so we had the way the university works where i went uh, was at that time you could do a science field uh, type degree and then that could be medicine or it could be something else but if you enrolled as a medical student you could choose from all the other subjects but if you enrolled in science you couldn't, you couldn't switch into medicine so I thought well it's probably better to try and get into it as a medical student and then once I got started on that I, I, I sort of began to de- develop more of an interest in medicine and uh, and stayed with that and initially I thought I was going to become a haematologist and then I sort of branched off into um, from the bone marrow into the actual bone and, and uh, I mean circumstances opportunities take, might take you to some area that you haven't expected. Sure, yes. Now obviously you're studying
0: for your PPL, uh, mm-hmm. that's right isn't it. Um, if, if you were able to obtain that it, do you think it will be the sort of thing where you'd want to go on further for an instrument rating for example and,
5: and that kind of thing? I think in, in our part of the world it, it would be really useful having instrument rating because the weather is obviously often not good in northern Europe uh, so I think that would be an interesting thing to do. I'm still Really not sure that I'll be able to put in the hours to actually get my PPL, let alone an instrument rating. Um, finding it really difficult to um, to block um, out enough time to um, to um, be able to go out and fly and have it have it fit when the plane is available and when the CFI is available and the weather's up to it. Um, this is always the, yeah. the thing,
0: as you say, in Northern Europe, trying to make all those things line up properly because, mm. apart from the cost involved, it's people's availability, the weather, and all this sort of thing. I mean, I can think of nothing better than for you to fly from Kastrup Airport to right. Oxford uh, one right. day. Um, but no. is, is that an ambition of yours, do you think?
5: I'll certainly avoid Kastrup because <laughs> just taxiing there, I think I probably wouldn't be able to make it to uh, to the runway. The, that That's airport, I mean, I, I love
0: Copenhagen Airport, I think it's a fantastic airport, but it is. Um, uh, it has grown so much over the 25 years that I've been uh, yes, flying from there.
5: Yes, I think it's overstrained. I mean, if you go there as a passenger, there's a real shortage of, of all facilities now. You've got, simply, you've got too, too few loo's, too, too, too few seats in the lounges, yeah. and everything is sort of overstrained.
0: Just think about the GA aspect, though, around Denmark. Are there some good uh, general aviation
5: yes, fields yes. And, and clubs? Yes, I mean, if, if you're thinking Copenhagen, the, the largest, um, the largest flying club in Denmark is in, in Roskilde Airport which is the other Copenhagen Airport which is about you know, 10 miles uh, west of Copenhagen Airport so it's right under the uh, the TMA for, for, for Kastrup Airport uh, I think there are four flying schools there there's a lot of mixed operations the um, there's rescue helicopters there uh, ambulance flights um, uh, business jets so it's a very mixed operations you can do tons of flying there that kind of can be challenging uh, given the uh, vicinity of the of the big international airport, but there are also plenty of places in Denmark where you can fly from from, from small grass strips and and medium-sized airports. So that's the nice
0: thing about Denmark, isn't it? With, with mm. lo- lots of uh, islands that's around, right. uh, you can yes. do a lot of island hopping. That's I, what people do.
5: They fly out and have lunch on one of the islands and come back, or they, you know, bring back uh, uh, bring back lobsters and stuff from the, from the islands back to Copenhagen. that's that sort of thing is very popular. I just fly away for the. The um, you know fifty fifty, uh, 50 pound ice cream. Or <laughs> yes, there's <right. laughs> yeah, yeah. so a lot of a lot of that going on. Yeah, absolutely. But with
0: your m- medical studies and the lecturing that you do and everything, yeah. I, I guess your your private time uh, we probably don't have much of it. I, I would imagine.
5: And it's difficult. I mean, I'd really like to be able to say that I could I could commit to f- to, to to flying two afternoons a week or something like that, but. It's going to be more like two two afternoons a month, which is not really enough to uh, to make any progress uh, with the training. And it's interesting, compared with other hobbies. I mean, you could play tennis and it would be okay that you were crab at it, and you kept being not very good. You could still enjoy it. But with aviation, you're sort of. I mean, you have to be able to move on to the next to the next lesson somehow.
0: It's all about practice, isn't it? Of course, every flight is is different. different. The weather is different on every flight, and just trying to keep those hours up and and the consistency must be very difficult, I would imagine.
5: Yes, I, I, I'm certainly finding it, finding it very, very challenging. I should probably have done more to, uh, to stick with it when I was younger. i was sure I would have been able to learn slightly faster. It just takes longer when you come at 50 plus. Start, oh,
0: everything, know. yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the, the learning capacity and, and that kind yes, of thing it yeah, always takes longer. Right, yeah. Well, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you today, Bo. Thank you very much indeed for meeting up.
5: Oh, it's been a really nice meeting you in person.
2: What a lovely little interview, Nev. Well done. How was it? Oh, thank you. It was
0: slightly impromptu because we just sort of turned up and we found somewhere to to sit on the riverbank there. But it was Mm. uh, very nice indeed. And uh, Beau's a fascinating chap. And uh, he's got such a busy job in his medical field yeah. trying to find time to do all these other things as well but uh yeah he's a very keen aviator but uh, like mm. so many people just trying to find the time to do it and it's quite expensive in denmark as it well like, yes yeah,
2: yeah. so. uh one of the lovely things i've actually got his twitter uh, page up in front of me right now so it's at dr Beau. Abraham. We'll, we'll include it in the uh, show notes, I think, when we do. But I, I love that, you know, everybody puts like a little description of, of who or what they are and what their tweet- tweeting is going to be all about. It says, Professor and end- endo, is, is it endosyn? I can't even say it. Anyway, uh, tweeting in a private capacity, mostly bone research. Consult your doctor if health concerns. And then the last line, which I really love, it says traces of aviation. <laughs> it's just, I absolutely love it. Really, really nice. And what a lovely, lovely man he was.
0: Yes, and he's a very keen uh,
3: viewer and listener to the Airline Pilot
2: Guy show. Is too. he? Oh well, we all have our own spare, don't we?
3: <laughs> and I'm into bone research myself. Bam. Okay. Um, that's, that's what he said. I was going <laughs> to say. Well, I, I was going to compliment Nev on his interviewing skills. You know, mm. people, you think that uh, interviewing somebody is an easy thing to do. It's, it's not. not. No. Nev makes it look, it look easy. Yeah uh,
0: I I I do find it quite difficult I have to say and it's uh, it's taken a little while to to get it where it is but so I still think I can do a lot better sometimes but um well, you know, yeah oh yeah always like just, to <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah shocking I just if try to get the best out of people by not yeah. saying very much and let them I, do the talking
2: so much of this is oh hello oh hi <laughs> that's that's what is that? is that is that a bucket of wine <laughs> No, it's that's just me. my
3: little wine glass. That's that's, a, a,
2: that's an impressive yeah. receptacle an you have there, Yes. <laughs> what <laughs> a, what, a, what a receptacle that is. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, it's obviously that, wine o'clock where Jeff is. Uh, great news. Uh, it's. Well,
3: uh, I'm I'm on your time zone. Oh, right. I see.
2: Oh, right so eight <laughs> thirty in the evening. Excellent. Yes. I'm 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 being a bit boring here. I've got I've got me boring old squash here. Look, I, I, I clearly. Made the mistake but that's because i'm driving tomorrow so i have to be very good when i'm driving yes Yes. Uh, well
0: uh, so next then uh we have some military
2: oh uh, okay all right okay yes
0: so uh are we already for the military certainly
2: am yes ready to go excellent dearing me apologies my levels are all over the place this evening i obviously need i need to go back and i need to go and learn some more stuff sorry about that you need to go to audio school i do need to go back to audio school don't i yes (laughs) naughty naughty boy
3: levels what do you mean what is that (laughs) yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. yes that's the only trouble when you do it 100 percent live that you can't really do it in post (laughs) but anyway there we are (laughs) all part of the fun Anyway, yeah. sorry, should we do some, some grey stuff, ladies and gents?
0: As we're here, we might as well. And this story's on the Derby Telegraph. And uh, there's a bit of video with this, man. I don't know whether you can yeah, share this. Yeah, I'm on but, it. Uh, yeah. It's uh, an RAF Chinook helicopter. It was just a few feet over the famous Derwent Dam and an incredible display of skill by its pilot. The amazing footage of the training exercise was captured by a 14-year-old boy. The Chinook was spotted over Derwent Dam on Tuesday afternoon, August the 28th, at around 12.30 p.m. Uh, by 14-year-old Riley Routledge and his mother Dawn from Ashbourne. Uh, the footage shows the aircraft hover over the dam before making a manoeuvre, then flying off down the Ladybower Reservoir. Dawn, 34 don't know why I said that. <laughs> Very relevant, obviously. She was obviously. alarmed at how close the helicopter was, but was amazed at the sight. She said, I was walking with my son near the reservoir because at this time of year, the water is low and you can see the bottom mm. at the old railway line. Uh, but we were just walking around and saw the Chinook just flying right near us. I tried to get my phone out, but my son was already recording. The credit goes to him. I posted it online in a photography group and it's gained over 400 likes already. I don't know why uh, why they were there, but it looked amazing. If you look closely at the video, you can see two men standing up inside the Chinook. I thought they were going to jump or glide down on a rope at one point. I never expected to see something like that, but it was amazing. So, Went Dam was used during the intensive training for the Lancaster bombers with the World War II Dam Busters.
2: And of course, Um, actually, uh, recently, over the the 100th RAF uh, fly pass, of course, they recreated that exact same uh, thing, didn't they, with the Lancaster flying over over the Derwent Dam. And the only reason I know that is because the Sunday after our marvellous seeding barbecue, this is our first stop that we made when we did did, uh, uh, the company I was working for on that day, a, a, a tour of beautiful Derbyshire. And uh, and I have literally taken a piece of video exactly there, not with a Chinook in it, it has to be said, Mm, Uh, but uh, yeah, an amazing, uh, it's a beautiful place. And I have to say, the thing that stunned me about that entire reservoir, because it obviously was off the back of a very dry period, was how low that water level actually was. I mean, people we were talking to there, they have never seen the water level so low. Yeah, in, in, yeah, it's in been, all uh, years been that... a very,
0: uh, very barren time, isn't it, uh, exactly. both in the Midlands yeah. where this is and, and in all parts of the country. Mm. And, uh, but um, uh, an Army spokesman said that the Chinook came from an airbase uh, in Hampshire, which was RAF Odium and on a routine training flight. So uh, to ensure the Chinook force has crews trained for a variety of operational scenarios, different geographic locations and environments are used to build pilot confidence flying in and around confined spaces and obstacles.
2: There we Good. go. Yeah, it's a site. well, an impressive site. Uh, it's, I don't know why aviation, you know, anything aviation related, is always so much more impressive when it ends up being somewhere you don't expect it to see, to see it. Really, but uh, yeah. Yeah, there I've we are. It. Okay, on to the next story. Now, this is on the Air Force Technology website. So that's Air Force. Airforce technology.com and it says the USAF and US Army conduct joint training exercises uh, in, in exercise predictable iron. Hmm. The US Air Force's USAF 62nd Airlift Wing has participated in exercise uh, predictable iron with the US Army's 82nd Airborne. Uh, with, sorry, with Airborne Division at Popefield, North Carolina. As part of the exercise, the two units from the Air Force and the Army participated in a joint training activity to drop equipment and personnel at two drop zones. In three days, airmen from the 62nd Airlift Wing, together with soldiers from the 82nd Airborne Division, dropped 40 tonnes worth of equipment, such as armoured vehicles and resupply containers, and a total of 1,005 paratroopers. 7th Air Lift Squadron pilot and C 17 aircraft commander, Captain Jared uh, Barker May, said, uh, It's important that the Air Force participate in these events to ensure that we are ready to do what our nation expects of us, which is to insert the 82nd Airborne anywhere. In the world within a short time frame. Also, during these events, we identify shortcomings between the two services and eliminate them in order to strengthen our f- joint force initiative. Uh, he also added that inserting hundreds of jumpers into an objective area tests the crew's abilities as well as the strengths. Uh, as well as strengthens our habit patterns. During the joint training, airmen from the 7th and 8th airlift squadrons of the 62nd Airlift Wing crewed two C-17 Globemaster III military transport Aircraft to assist more than 1,000 US Army paratroopers. The airmen and soldiers worked in collaboration with load equipment on the two C 17s. They also worked with jump masters and paratroopers to enable them to maintain their readiness uh, requirements for. Uh, for different airborne missions. Furthermore, the U.S. Army practiced dropping the uh, is it the caster-assisted A-series delivery system, which is a new method of drop-door bundles, a container of equipment pushed out of the doors of an aircraft. Uh, exercise predictable. Iron, predictable. Iron—that's an unusual title, isn't it? Was described to, was designed, sorry, to enable the USAF and the US Army to improve their skills sets and work in cooperation to attain a common goal. In addition to providing the US Department of Defense with combat credible military forces, so it's uh, yes, an interesting exercise by all accounts.
3: Matt, what was the name of the uh, mission again?
2: It was, uh, uh, it was Exercise Predictable Iron. that's what she said. Indeed, I know. Actually, to be fair, as I was reading most of that story, there were several moments where I was in expecting, and that's what she said, being dropped in at least three times there. I thought I was going to be... And I'm wearing a shirt that says yeah, yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Today, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Indeed. Never mind. Yes, I, I, you do wonder if the innuendo is, is actually on purpose. I have
3: a feeling somebody <laughs> who came up with the name <laughs> of the exercise... <laughs> just having a little bit of fun. I, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I fear that may be the case, gents. Indeed.
3: <laughs> um, Pope Field. I spent uh, several years there. One week.
4: Okay.
3: Um, right. We used to. We used to call it No Hope Pope.
2: Right. Okay. Uh,
3: back when it was actually an air force base, and they they shut down the air force base, and now it's just called a field right next to okay. uh, Fort Bragg, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> it's just 82nd Airborne. Well, yeah. Anyway, I, I, yeah, interesting. I, I
2: mean, I I, it, 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 I always find it quite fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised they don't work together more, I suppose, because I mean, it's the same here in the UK, isn't it? You get more and more of the, you know, the army doesn't work with the Navy that often and so on and so forth. So I, I suppose these sort of exercises can be quite important because there are occasions where they do actually have to work together. And I suppose if they've practiced them, it's less likely to look stupid, I guess.
3: <laughs> yes. Less likely. Less
2: likely. (laughs) Yes, less likely. Indeed. Somebody uh, get me out of this dangerous area I've wandered into. (laughs) Yes. Well, the final
3: story
0: is uh, for you, Jeff, on the military segment.
2: Daddy, I've fished a mortar out of the river Cam. Uh, right in Cambridge, lovely. What a lovely part of the world it is! <laughs> Great accent.
3: That was a terrible accent. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah, very, yeah. very bad with English. Your, your, your,
2: I guess say uh, Your audition for um, Mary Poppins was very successful. You, you may. Uh... I couldn't help it though. There's this video
3: here in my my particular article that I'm going to read here. Okay. Uh, a young young man. Um, well, here let me uh, tell you. It's from Cambridgeshire Live. Mm-hmm. And how did I do with that? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty good. Uh, that's a young good. a young history buff. Who pulled a bomb from the River Cam? Got to meet the RAF officers who destroyed it. Oh, <laughs> ah. um, a young history buff who pulled. Eh, why do they do that all the time? They have a headline, and then they put the first. And sentence, the, the same thing as the headline.
2: Yeah, they like they like to do that.
3: <laughs> do they get paid by the
2: word? Possibly. I, I think perhaps they're just padding. You know, if it's a if it's a local rag, perhaps they're just padding for um, you know in, inches, as it were.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Well anyway, Monty Greenway pulled the historic bomb from the river while magnet fishing fishing with his, bro- it's magnet fishing, with his brother and dad near Jesus Green or Jesus Green depending Jesus Green, on how yeah. you pronounce it. What is it? It is Jesus Green. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. Jesus Green in Cambridge. That's when uh, oh, I remember that story from the New Testament when Jesus got sick. Okay, uh, as a young history buff, the 11-year-old knew immediately what he had fished out and the F- uh, 5131 bomb disposal unit from RAF Wittering were called in. Monty told Cambridgeshire Live at the time, I had already pulled out some stuff, some scrap metal, and I threw it, the magnet, in the middle of the river. I felt something on the end. I slowly pulled it out of the water. I looked at it and told, Daddy, I have a mortar shell on the end of the magnet. Wow. He added, It's not what I was expecting. I thought it <laughs> would be a bike wheel, not a mortar shell. Mm. Monty hoped he could have could have a fragment of the shell, but the bomb disposal unit had taken it to be blown up in a nearby field. Oh. Well they still could have given him a fragment of it yeah. right, after they exploded it.
2: They clean it up. Anyway,
3: Monty's dad, Guy. Got in touch with the RAF, uh, Wittering, and they invited Monty to visit the base and see some of their specialized equipment. The 11-year-old, <laughs> I'll move on. The 11-year-old is sure to have a great back-to-school story in September as he regales classmates with the story of how he visited the RAF's compound and saw some of the latest technology being used by bomb disposal experts because of his cool find. That is
2: quite yeah it's it's a it's a, yeah I, I I it's 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 a brave job I'll get the the bomb disposal guys because I suppose you, you have no idea what these things are going to do um, you know I mean just because they've been sat in the water doesn't necessarily mean that they they are they aren't going to go off I guess.
3: Did you cover that story not too long ago by a, a woman who found um, a mortar a unexploded bomb and took it with her as a souvenir uh, to I think it was the Vienna. Airport. Oh and no! Basically, shut the airport down for a while because of security. What? Yeah, no. she washed it off in her uh, her uh, hotel room sink, right. and got all the mud and everything off of it, and had it in her <laughs> luggage as she tried to make her trip back home. <laughs> and they were uh, not too happy about. No,
2: I c- I can imagine.
3: That. I can't imagine why they were waspy
2: about that. <laughs> it's just like, it's, uh, I mean, the, 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 on the, all the jokes aside though, we, we, we all right, we, we've sort of diverted from the story slightly here, but you just think, at what point did they think that that would be okay to take into an airport? I, I mean, it just, like. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, you, you wouldn't think, you know, you think a gun uh, or any kind of explosive is probably not a good thing to take into an airport when you're about to fly home.
3: I think that her thinking uh, apparently was that well, this thing could not possibly be dangerous because you know how how could it be an active bomb you know being underwater for so long and whatever in the mud, not realizing that, oh yes, it could still be live
2: well, yeah, I mean, if the seals are still intact and everything, I mean all right, maybe the detonators not uh, not yep. functioning anymore, but the you know the gunpowder within is uh, likely to still be quite quite dangerous. Yeah. yeah it's um hmm, odd odd never mind anyway that is where we bring the uh military segment to a close now well we do, i know i'm sorry we, it's only <laughs> only the three it's <laughs> we've got uh, uh carlos isn't here although he does keep popping up in the chat room i notice uh even now he's supposed to be busy doing a disco i don't know what he's up to uh but uh yes uh, although he's not here we do have um a little piece from him i believe nev is that correct
0: we do and uh, we shot this at the seething fly-in that we did ah, a yes. couple of weeks ago which was a very good event indeed we'll have to do another one of those i, yep. I really enjoyed,
2: yeah it was good fun uh, actually that day
0: and um one of our hosts there was a gentleman called dan gay and dan owns, owns and flies a long easy aircraft which is a rutan <clears throat> model 61 it's a home-built aircraft with a canard layout and designed by Bert Rutan of Rutan Aircraft Factory in the USA and uh, Carlos had a chat with Dan about it and Dan took us around the aircraft and told us a bit about it.
1: Okay, so for those of you who follow us uh, on Facebook or follow uh, me on Facebook will probably know that uh, early this week I got the chance to go in a rather unique aircraft. And it's behind us now. And I'm here with the owner, Dan. Dan, welcome onto the show. Hello, nice to be here. So Dan, tell us a bit about uh, the aircraft that's sitting behind us here.
4: Tell you a bit about where do I start? <laughs> well the first thing, it's a canard. Uh, it's got a little wing in the front. Um, it was designed by Burt Rutan. Uh, very fast, uh, economical aircraft, fun to fly.
1: I can definitely say it is fun to fly. You seem to enjoy yourself. I, I did enjoy <laughs> myself, yeah. So, Dan, how long have you had the aircraft?
4: I've had it for nearly four years now. And I uh, got my display authorization to show it around the U.K. about two years ago. Wow,
1: because you were recently at the uh, Great Yarmouth Air Show. I here, was in them? the show,
4: yeah, that was great fun.
1: Your first yeah. air show?
4: No, it wasn't. Nope. I've done about six air shows, and that was the latest one.
1: Excellent, excellent. You uh, obviously you displayed the aircraft along with, other, with the other aircraft there at the show. Was there other display aircraft with you as well, or any formation flying? No, it was just me. as a solo, just solo you. spot.
4: Yep, yeah. and it's it's not certified for aerobatics in the UK, so I was limited to what I could do. But uh, just showing the unique lines of the plane was the most, you know, prominent thing about it.
1: So, Danny, you, you, one of the things a lot of people probably notice about the aircraft is the way it's sitting here now behind us with yeah. the nose on the floor, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, for the benefit of the listeners who might not know, how does this work, you know, when you're, uh, obviously, because you can't taxi it like this. Mm -hmm.
4: The reason why it's sitting on its nose is all the weight when nobody's in it's in the back of the plane, and if you lift the air, I could show you. It's it's very light on its nose when nobody's in it, so it would probably tip back if you kept the nose wheel down. So it's parked on its nose, just for safety, really, when you're going to get in the plane, the uh, passenger just steps on the front seat, puts his leg over into the back, and once they're in, you can lift the plane up, put the nose wheel down, and jump in.
1: Excellent. So tell us a bit of the performance uh, specs of the aircraft end down.
4: Uh, it's very fast considering it's only got 115 horsepower Lycoming engine. Um, cruising economically about 130 knots. If you want to go wide open throttle at altitude, you can get it up to about 160, 170. Um, it's the same engine they put in a Cessna 150, but almost double the performance. Wow. So, very economical to fly and a lot of fun to fly.
1: So, given the choice of, of the aircraft you've got up here and down, it would always be the, the long would, easy. It would
4: always be the long easy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Any plans for the future for the aircraft? Are you? Um...
4: Uh, Not really. A lot of people have asked if they could buy into it, buy shares, but I'm (laughs) not really interested in that yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh, Some upset people, yeah. Yeah. But uh, how long have you been flying down?
4: I learned to fly here at Seething. It must be 14 years now, 14, 15 years ago. Um, I'm a club member. Uh, It took a while to get my license here because they only trained one day a week back then. They trained on a Saturday, so it took me nearly two years to get my license. And um, a great little club, and a fun place to learn how to fly.
1: Ah, And we are here, obviously, at the summer barbecue, our first P.T.U.K. barbecue, just over there. You'll probably see uh, all the uh, guys and girls there who have joined us for uh, today's uh, barbecue. And uh, you've had some, uh, you had some barbecue food. Burgers were great. Burgers are great. There we go. Matt, you heard it here first. (laughs) So, uh, well, from the uh, barbecue, thanks, Dan, for joining Thank us. You. It's been great to talk to you. And, but before you go, mm-hmm. we're going to ask you one question.
4: Okay.
1: And it's a question we always ask uh, any pilot we interview for the show.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Put you on the spot, question. Are you ready?
4: Yeah, go on. Is it going to be what
1: plane would I have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a listener of the show, you say, yes, good. Uh, but uh, given the chance, Dan, to fly any plane, mm-hmm. either retired, commercial, GA, military, and you could hop in now and, and take it for a run around the circuit here at Seething, what would it be? It'd have to be a Mustang. Ah, well, you might get a chance later on when Alan comes yeah. <laughs> in. Oh, great choice. So, from me, Carlos, in, and uh, we'll leave it there.
2: There we are. Well, oh, that was, uh, that's a, did you know that is a fascinating looking aircraft, isn't it? It's, uh, it I, is.
0: And, uh, Jeff, you've flown in one of these, is it? Have that? you?
3: I have, yeah. Uh, back in my Air Force days, uh, my roommate, uh, for a short period of time, uh, had or actually bought one he didn't make it himself uh, it was, mm-hmm. those are home-built and uh, he bought it from somebody else and this guy <laughs> he he kept asking me if I wanted to go fly with him in his uh, long easy and I said uh, I always had an excuse and then he came over one day and said what are you doing I said nothing he goes okay let's go to the nut tree airport and go fly on the ah, flying right. his airplane I'm thinking because you know he didn't have a reputation for being the most responsible Okay. Pilot. good right <laughs> it's always what you want to hear it from a, in yeah. a pilot
2: yeah <laughs>
3: but we went up and uh, had a great time went out over lake barryessa uh if you uh what's the name of that um small uh sport uh light sport uh amphibian uh starts with an a i think i can't off the top of I'm my sure head the chat room will tell us very shortly. yeah they'll they'll know what yeah, i'm talking indeed, about yeah. um, Anyway, uh, there there have been some recent crashes. In fact, one of the crashes uh, involved one of the people high up in the company and one of the test pilots, and they were over flying over Lake Berryessa. So they their uh, headquarters are not too far from there. Uh, I think they're in Vacaville. Um, and uh, Icon, that's it. Thank you, Robert. And or is it Richard? Uh, Icon A five. That's a. That's a private joke there. Yeah, Rob right. um, <laughs> I called him Richard the other day on my uh, show. Oh, so, right. I yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. um, so I get to apologize on not only my own show, but your show right, as well. Sorry, good. Robert, yes, for calling yes. me Richard. Yes, yes. Uh, apologies are uh, welcome. Yeah. Anyway, they um, <laughs> they fly over Lake Berryessa a lot. And uh, several, several years before that, uh, back in the 80s, I was flying low level over uh, Lake Berryessa and uh, did some aileron rolls and that kind of thing in it. I hope that's okay. Yeah, uh,
2: Robert accepts your apology un wholeheartedly, but he says just don't call me Shirley. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will not call you Shirley, Robert.
3: Anyway, yeah, so yeah, I've had a little experience with that airplane. It's very cool, very fast. Mm. And, uh, and it's a really cool-looking airplane as well. It is. Yeah, Dan was saying that at
0: altitude, it was uh, capable of 160, 170 knots. It Goodness was, uh, me. Incredible, isn't
3: Yeah, I think that works out to be close to 200 miles an hour, which is, uh, yeah, that's Ooh, what... Uh, blimey. ...a that, friend of mine told me.
2: That, 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 I mean, it's a... I think it's it's one of those few things, isn't it? You look at it, I mean, it, it's a beautiful-looking aircraft, isn't it? It sort of almost looks space-age, doesn't it? It looks like it ought to be on the Starship Enterprise rather than, um, you know, sort of flying around seething and and around our neck of the woods, really. But, um, it, I mean, what are the criteria to, to make? Because he was saying that it isn't, hasn't been rated for um, acrobatics yet here in the UK. I mean, what, what are the conditions? I mean, if, I th- I sort of foolishly assumed that... All aircraft could be sort of, you know, classed as, you know, acrobatic worthy if they were, you know, if the pilot was qualified to do so.
3: Well, I'm, I'm not sure of the regulations in the UK, but mm. um, here in the US, um, and I'm not no, absolutely, no. absolutely sure either of all F- the 50-50. We'll, we'll take a
2: 50-50. That's fine.
3: <laughs> it, it has to be, you know, something that is rated to pull a certain number of G-forces because right. any uh, many aerobatic maneuvers, do require uh, not excessive G's, but a lot more than just flying around at one G. Um, and uh, so you have to have you know the proper uh, ratings for that. It has to be tested to ensure that it can withstand. Uh, let's say if you're doing a loop, you may pull three to four G's uh, in the pullout of a loop, depending on the airplane. Um, and uh, also, you know, the fuel delivery system has to be uh, rated for. Continuous flow of of fuel and continuous flow of oil. Right. So that the engine doesn't seize.
2: Gosh, yes. Important factors. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um... Oh, I mean, it, well, it, it is a, a beautiful aircraft. There's no, there's no two ways about it, as I say. it's uh, and, and it's very unusual. Well, I, I don't know. why. Certainly in the UK, it's quite unusual for the uh, the aircraft to be owned by a single person. Uh, quite a lot of them, I think, here in the UK they're sort of syndicates. Sort of, well, I suppose, that otherwise you just don't get enough time to, to fly them and it's a bit of a waste, I guess. But uh, I mean, so, uh, um, GA aircraft is, is more commonplace. It's a single ownership in the States, isn't it? I mean, uh, I seem to remember um, what programs when I was a kid like of, of whole cities that were sort of you know people were driving down the road in their airplanes and parking them if you sort I mean it was a sort of like an airplane sort of town almost mm-hmm. or is that or, or is that just Hollywood nonsense
3: I mean almost every town is like that and we're all filthy rich here that's why oh right kind of okay, okay. good <laughs> And we don't know what to do with all our money
2: right fair enough so aviation seemed the obvious way to go yes <laughs> fair yeah. enough yes why not so i'm doing very well at making myself look very stupid on the show this is no, why there
3: are a this, lot of uh, this, is this is why i'm the tech, tech guy you see <laughs> the, uh, a lot of communities around the states that we call fly-in communities where yeah. actually it's like a neighborhood uh with you know the homes are widely spaced and some uh, many of the homes have hangers uh, so instead of having a well in a, they have garages for their cars, but they also have or garages. Uh, but they also have uh, hangars uh, attached or close by where they put their airplanes and right out the front yard or backyard or whatever uh, is an airstrip and uh, there, there are quite a few of them, uh, private little, uh, airports out there, uh, yeah. flying communities around the country.
0: So, uh, what are you up to uh, this coming week, Jeff? Have you got lots of flying.
3: Well, um, this weekend is our Labor Day weekend here in the United mm-hmm. States. And um, I, my family, we never really do anything special for Labor Day. And uh, I'm usually laboring on Labor Day, and that's what I'm going to do. That's my tradition. I'm heading out on a trip. Um, If you can call flying airplanes labor, Uh, (laughs) I'm heading out on a four-day trip uh, starting on Monday with just one leg, one flight from here to Wichita, Kansas. And so if you're out there in Wichita and you're listening to this show, uh, give me a holler and we'll get together and uh, maybe have some barbecue or something in in Wichita. And uh, on Tuesday, this is important, I, I hope you don't mind me um, Not at all, yeah. uh, plugging this. Uh, if you're watching this live, of course, if you're watching the uh, the replay, this may be too late for you. But on Tuesday, the 4th of September, uh, Rebecca Saylor is, has kind of organized a meetup at the Flight 93 Memorial in Shanksville, wow. Pennsylvania. Uh, flight 93 was the United flight that was hijacked amongst the four that were hijacked on September 11th of 2001. And this is the one where the uh, the passengers basically overcame oh, wow. the uh, the uh, terrorists and forced the uh, airplane down. It was a 757 that crashed in uh, rural Pennsylvania. And they have this memorial that they've opened and we're going to, I'm going to fly, I have a layover in at Dulles International uh, in Virginia, but it's uh, in the Washington area. And Robert Fairbairn is going to pick me up and we're going to head out to... His local airport, we're going to rent an airplane. We're going to fly up to uh, Shanksville or an airport very close by, and Rebecca is going to pick us up from there, and then we're going to hopefully meet up with some other APG community members or uh, aviation podcast community members and uh, take in the memorial and uh, hang out with each other, and and I'm really looking forward to that. Again, that's uh, Tuesday, September 4th. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So,
2: so if you're in the area, then then get in touch via via either tweet or or get in touch. Uh, what's your what's your email? Well, let's do a little show plugging, shall we? While we're there, if they want to sort of find out more information about said meetup or they want to get in touch with you guys, what's the best way for them to do that?
3: All right. If you uh, for me, my personal email address is jeff at airlinepilotguy dot com, and uh, if you want to send feedback to our show, it's feedback at airlinepilotguy dot com. But either of those would work and uh, let us know if you're going to be in the area and if you want to uh, participate looks like we're going to be arriving somewhere between 3:15 and 3:30 on uh, on Tuesday afternoon sounds
2: lovely I, I, I do love a meetup I must say it was one of the, nice, one of the lovely things about seething is it was so nice to sort of have so many listeners there uh, sort of just enjoying the uh, the show so yes if you want to uh, uh, obviously if, you, if they're not aware of the airline pilot go, I don't know how that's even possible frankly uh, it's www.airlinepilotguy.com and you've got links on there to listen to current and f- uh, well presumably future episodes as well and let's not of course let's not forget of course the legendary plane Tales series that is now available on your website as well done by Captain Nick as he does one for your your show every week doesn't he and yes, uh, yes the back catalogue is now available for you to listen to directly from the airline pilot guy or website that is correct there we are see I, I could do this broadcasting lark. you see it's easy busy. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <great. laughs>
3: There I'm are. learning a lot. Yeah,
2: yeah Whatever. Moving on. Uh, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps I could persuade you, Nev, to uh, tell everybody how they get in touch with us. We'd love to get some feedback from you. We haven't had any audio feedback from our lovely listeners, and I know that there are lots of people out there because uh, I'm looking at the figures every single week when I upload the show. So I know we've got lots of people who listen, um, but you're all very shy and you don't like to share with it, share it with us for some reason. So uh, how do they send their feedback to us, Nev? Well, you can
0: go to our website, which is plaintalkinguk.com, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash plain talking UK. We have a Twitter, uh, which is uh, quite active at the moment, I've noticed. It is, yes, uh, it's been a bit uh, And that's uh, at plain talking UK, and yeah. um, any of those methods you'll be able to get in contact with the show send us your feedback um and if you'd like me to uh, feature interview with you we've got some coming up of uh, some more nev's passenger experience Ooh, i'm very happy to uh, to do that as well indeed um,
2: yes yeah. so uh, emails and everything all into podcast at plain talking that's podcast at plain talking uk.com i don't mind how we get your audio feedback you can use the voice recording function in the facebook messenger for all i care i will find a way of retrieving it from our system and putting it into the playout system so uh, however uh, your phone records audio the, all the phones are brilliant these days the iphones especially the microphones in them are great so uh, got no excuses guys you can record us a little piece even if you're just on holiday and you want to tell us a little bit about the flight that you had out there podcast at plane talking uk.com
3: i'd like to say something if you don't oh, mind okay uh, yes fine. before away. we go um So these podcasts that we do, we love doing the podcasts. We love aviation. We have a passion for all of this, hanging out with our our community members, uh, which, uh, as I've said many times, is really the best part of being involved in aviation podcasting. But it's not free. It's free for you. You don't have to pay anything (laughs) for these things, but it's not free for us. And if you want to help support this endeavor, if you have the resources to do so, Do as I do and become a patron of the PTUK. And I'm sure you'll find uh, they'll tell us right now how you can become a patron of their show.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's well, there's several ways that you can uh, contribute. So if you go to our website, that's the best place. So it's www.plaintalkinguk.com. On there, you'll find all the links you need. One for Patreon. Patreon is a way of donating to the show. Uh, you can do a PayPal donation, which several, several of our listeners now use. Uh, and also, if you perhaps are a little bit short on money, as I am, um, but you do use Amazon to do your shopping, then make sure you use the Amazon link that's on our website website and you can donate to the show without it costing you a penny Uh, we get a small advert referral fee essentially for the privilege of you using our link and uh, that helps us buy things like leads and things to keep the the show on air so thank you jeff that's very kind
3: Well, i mean i mean it uh you know if you want uh, it's, it's not essential i'm sure that we probably do this, these things without yeah, yeah. financial support <laughs> but i mean uh, i'm sorry i said that out loud yes. but it really does help motivate us to yeah. keep doing what we're Absolutely. doing when like people actually you know become uh, take ownership in mm-hmm. these shows uh, it really does it's help motivate us to yeah. keep on going and keep giving uh, you the best content that we can
2: yeah a lot of our listeners are very good about sending us uh, links to stories that they've stumbled across as well and we really appreciate any any emails about uh, stories that sometimes we miss you know I mean we we, we trawl through I mean the, 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 the news whilst looking for the stories and some of the best stories that we've had in, in recent weeks certainly have actually been sent to you by our wonderful listeners so uh, yeah do uh, it, as I say as Jeff says it's, it's made for you um, by us so uh, if you've got any content for us then then you know we love to receive it we really do well that's, 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 anyway, that's enough of that on message stuff i think we should <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly tried to
0: uh get the content up you know mm. higher standard to get, this yeah. year with, with more video more audio more sorts of things and uh, yeah we're, we're very happy to to bring that to you mm. we, we enjoy it
2: yeah so it's been a, been a been a quite an upgrade from uh, I mean a lot of this I have to say we have we we have Nev to thank for uh, PT UK because uh, that camera of yours Nev has, has generated some absolutely outstanding footage uh, nothing to do with the operator of co- completely it's I, I just can't. switch it on
0: <laughs> press auto and take the lens and ho- hope that's for it. the best yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah, but in it's fact- but-
3: that's the the main reason why they need your financial support because nev's <laughs> budget i think is like thousands of dollars yeah now. absolutely
2: right. yeah we could, it's, it's all we can do to cope absolutely it's <laughs> uh, it, it's it's great but uh, no seriously guys thank you very much and and for those of you who are already donating and contributing we really do appreciate every single penny and uh, at the top of each month as you know we shall run our way through uh, we sh- we shall name check you all at uh, presumably next week's show would be the next i can't believe it's september next month Already, how is that, that happened? I know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. So, Danny, yeah. We, we probably got to start wrapping up now. Really, we've actually overrun. Can you believe without Carlos, we have actually overrun? <laughs> it's probably my influence. No, 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 it's not four hours long, Jeff. Don't be silly. <laughs> 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 never mind anyway uh yes that is where we bring episode number 232 to a close uh it's been a real pleasure captain jeff what can i say you are the man the legend it's been so nice to have you on the show thank you so much for agreeing to uh phil carlos's rather ample boots uh and uh it's been a pleasure as always
3: i uh really enjoyed it i always enjoy um being on with you all <laughs> that's great
2: that's very good Well done. Uh, uh, Nev, uh, same time next week?
0: Uh, yes, I think, uh, well, were we looking to do a different day? Yes, well, it's a little bit up
3: in the air at the moment. Yes.
2: Uh, we've got a possible relatively high-fly guest. Not that Captain Jeff, obviously, is not high-fly or high-brow mm-hmm. enough. Wait a minute, uh, may I interrupt
3: you <laughs> for a second here? I, I was under the impression that I was going to be the new permanent host of the show. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I am quite happy to retire. That's fine by me. <laughs>
2: That's not a problem at all. You, you can press all the buttons. You do it a lot better than I do, I can assure you of that.
3: <laughs> well, it was very misleading, the emails that I received. <laughs> So, I know. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you, put that out there.
2: I'm afraid our PR department was in charge of the email. It's, <laughs> you know, uh, it's entirely Neb's fault. Uh that yes. So the uh, uh yes, uh, there's a little bit we're a little bit up in the air at the moment. Uh depending on if we can pull off the interview that we're hoping to pull off uh, will depend on what day next week the show is recorded so uh, we're looking at either a Friday or a Sunday basically is what I'm saying So it's either Friday evening as normal or it may well be Sunday but uh, uh, there'll be more information coming about that watch our social media as Nev said earlier it's at Plain Talking UK if you are on Twitter and just put basically in any of the ser- uh, uh, social media just put Plain Talking UK into your search engine and you will find us and uh, where we that's where so we tweet basically when we're going to record live so uh, yeah from all of us here uh, let me see if I let's, let's do the fancy multicam thing there we are look there's all of us together um, we will uh, it's time to say goodbye say goodbye everybody
4: goodbye
2: and we goodbye everybody very, very soon. <laughs> take care guys Bye-bye. bye bye